Hey there, Squirrely Dan. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Steven, who's Squirrely Dan? He is the character played by comedian K. Trevor Wilson in a show called Letterkenny, which honestly I can't recommend because the first several episodes are rough. And even after that, it's more for like the funny moments than the show as a whole. There's a running gag. At some point, someone says, to be fair. And they're like, don't say that. It sounds all ritzy. Well, to be fair. Oh, don't say to be fair. I hate when people say to be fair. It sounds like, uh, to be fair. To be fair. Oh, to be fair. There's, every time someone says to be fair later on, they, they do like a, a kind of a musical score around it. Well, to be fair. Uh, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. I use the phrase to be fair several times during the therapy episode or chapter in my notes. Yes. And that's all we I do want to be fair to everybody. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what is it that we are being fair about here on this podcast? Oh yeah. Uh, we're being fair to Alexander Wales up serial worth the candle in our podcast. Not everything is a clue. Yes. Uh, we do this every week. You guys know the drill by now. If you like us, please support us on our Patreon. Uh, also you can support Alexander at his Patreon. Both are linked over at this uh, podcast's homepage, hpmorpodcast.com. Uh, you can probably Google things too, if you want, you know, how internets work. That's right. Okay. Uh, do we want to jump into our feedback from the audience since we had a fair bit of it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, uh, the first one is from Feeping Creature, as a comment on hpmoirpodcast.com, says that a fun psychoanalysis theory is that the fundamental basis for June's reaction is insecurity. And this is June's reaction to Amaryllis changing her soul. Feeping Creature says that June hasn't really lost anything here, because like, if he breaks up with Finn, it if it's a good idea to get together with Amaryllis, she can just mod herself back to being infatuated with him. But his fear is that she won't do that because deep down, he worries that the only reason people can like him is when they're forced to by unfathomed internal forces. That's a nice uh, analysis of it. I do like the the armchair psychoanalysis there, and I think it fits. I mean, there's a line that's probably fuzzy between insecurity and um, what did we call it when how, you know, the feeling of when it's awesome that people are into you. Uh, uh wanting to be desired slash desirability yeah yeah so i mean it's you know maybe one's maybe someone who enjoys that people like them is insecure but that almost seems kind of too wuzzy of a definition yeah but yeah i like that okay uh feeping creature also had another point i'm skipping over a lot of stuff here for time uh can we talk about you're not broken because I'm pretty sure you just agreed that everyone has the right to change their mind, but apparently they don't have the right to hold an opinion on which basis their mind should be changed. You're not broken just as much as you are broken implies that people are tools to an end. But people's ends are, in humanism at least, defined by themselves. If Amaryllis wants to be the sort of person who enjoys sex, that's much more inherently her right than even the capability to self-modify. If she wants to define her true self as hetero or bi or cis or trans or neurotypical or socially capable or anything, then uh, and then conceive her current state as broken in relation to that desired state, I think that's on her and her alone. And I think that was in reply to, you know, us saying, oh, you're not broken the way you are, or June saying that. And Feeping uh, Creature just kind of had a problem with that, saying, you know, people, if people are allowed to fix themselves to the way they want to be, they're allowed to think of their current selves as broken if they want to. 
I think I was the one that hit really hard on the you're not broken thing. I think June just didn't like the idea of like, that'll fix you or whatever. Um, mm. My, I see where they're coming from. I don't like conceding that if someone says I could work on this, you know, like I should work out more or whatever, learn calculus. I, I don't know if it's the right framing to think of yourself as, as a broken person until you've achieved your goal. Mm. Um, now, I think that's, kind of a more broad statement than uh, the the kinds of states that that feeping creature is talking about, like with regards to basically strictly mental stuff. But I don't know. I, I guess I totally see the point they're making and I, I think they're right, but I don't like the idea of framing it as like broken because it sounds like there's something wrong with you and there's not right. Uh, yeah. If you want to change, you you know, go nuts. But uh, I don't, I don't, I maybe it's just the way that I want to, you know, people to feel about themselves. Maybe they, maybe they feel better thinking of themselves as broken until they get fixed. Right. I think feeping creature has a point. I think that the term using a term like, uh, right. Like whether it's the right way to think about yourself or not is just right is a bad term there. And we should taboo it. Maybe something like healthy or motivating or sabotaging or whatever would be a better term. And maybe for some people it is, you know, motivating and not unhealthy to think that, I am broken in this current state and I would like to have it fixed. So I think it depends on the person, but I I like, I like what you put there about motivation. I mean, like we have a friend who's trans and is going to undergo uh, some surgery this month. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he thinks of himself as broken or just like, I don't know, you know, wanting to install aftermarket parts, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We're all piloting around these meat suits that we have varying levels of satisfaction with. I don't know if he feels broken right now or if he just feels like, no, I want that one. That yeah. body, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Moving on. Uh, Stuv, also from hpmorepodcast.com, uh, says that I, regarding June thinking Bleg when he saw uh, Valencia with George or Jorge, I'm not sure which one, says, I always assumed June's Bleg reaction had more to do with it being some adult that she just met than jealousy. If the lolly in your party started spending a lot of time with some suave government agent, it might rub you the wrong way too. Uh, I, I guess that's a <laughs> <laughs> that's a generous interpretation of June's motivation. But honestly, if the lolly in my party started spending time with some suave government agent, I'd be like, "Yeah, you, good for you, girl. You go hit that." You know. I think that is a very generous reading of it. We're usually, I think, the ones who are over generous with our interpretations. Uh, I like it though, uh, but I. I I think even that's stretching my my generosity that I tended to give June. I don't think it was like, oh man, she's dating a cop and we're on the wrong side of the law. Because there there just wasn't any... If there was one comment about that, I've been totally on board. But I, I think it's because he he doesn't like someone else getting all up into it when he wants to keep it on the you know in his back pocket. <laughs> that, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Uh, the next listener feedback is actually host feedback uh you usually send me all your show notes before we record i scan them quickly uh last episode you didn't send me them until after we record and i saw that in your show notes there was a thing that you never said in the episode which i thought was really cool so i wanted to pull it out here uh regarding um june going solo mode and rescuing valencia uh, you commented that the illusion seems to only impact sense experience, not the outside world. 
Val could show up for some Deus Ex Machina, but that wouldn't be a fun victory for June, so it's probably not going to happen. And I just, like, I really had to pull that out because you are totally, like, doing the meta-thinking and analysis and stuff and being really good at it. Like, it it wouldn't be a fun victory for June if she just showed up and fixed everything. That's, I appreciate the call-out. Yeah, I guess I get one good meta win a month. I mean, I was half wrong. That's kind of how it did work out. But at least I was thinking on that level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, there's, yeah, that, that, that was what was going through my mind is like, oh, if she just, you know, runs in and saves the day, which isn't quite what happened. He did, there was more to it than that, right? But she did solve her own problem. Um, yeah. But yeah, if she'd kick the door in and been like, hey, I got this, then especially like if it was 90 seconds after the rest of the party left, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> right. That would have been hilarious. Uh, finally, there was a big old thing going back and forth on Discord for a while, uh, where a lot of people were saying that June was being heroic by staying behind and rescuing Val, as uh, or trying to rescue Val, as Stephen had said, and that Fen was being the dick here by uh, jumping in the portal before, I don't know, there's some big vote had been taken, and then, you know, running back to June afterwards, and a lot of people saying that I was totally... Um, being inconsistent by thinking that june is a dick and then was you know kind of got some points for loyalty for me um my my broad strokes reply to this is that my view on june here is it's it's shaped very strongly by my belief that retaining unit cohesion is really really important in combat situations and if you're acting against that you're just threatening everybody's life and that's that's exactly what happened when there was this order by Amaryllis to retreat and everybody acknowledged it and was going along with it. And June just stayed behind. And, uh, you know, they, he, he abandoned that, that unit cohesion thing and the group kind of fell apart and they could have survived that. Like once he left, they could have continued acting as a cohesive unit if they were, I guess, better trained and, and more in sync with each other. But they they didn't. They failed. They fell apart. Uh, fence split off. Other people ran after her, and and I think that's why June's move was a dick move. He risked unit cohesion, and it did in fact fall apart uh, after he did that. And that's you, you just can't have that in a combat situation. So I, I I place the blame primarily on him. I think you made a good explanation of how your stance is consistent there. Um, my stance is that they're both being heroic. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, yeah, violating the group cohesion is bad in combat, but they're heroes. So, um, you know, yes, <laughs> it's it's a don't get me wrong. It's not the way one should live their life here on Earth in a real group. Yeah. Yeah. But if you ever find yourself in an Avengers type situation or in a video game, uh, you know, you break off and, and win the fight on your own because it, it's actually winnable by yourself. Whereas in real life, it's not. I have to make a bit of a confession too, which I feel bad about. But I, I got it when I first read this, uh, like a year, year and a half ago. I was far more frustrated with Fen running back because I was like, "All right, well, June's a dick. At least everyone else is, you know, on the safe side, uh, and they can regroup and go in without him." And then Fen, you know, just ran right back in, and I was like, "Fen, what the fuck are you doing?" But um, this time around, I, I was I was influenced by the fact that the Fens got some haters in the Discord, and I really love her. And I was like, no, no, I can't. 
I gotta defend Finn. She's everything's fine. She's cool. And then also, I was like, you know what? Steven will probably like this because he likes that kind of charging in heroism crap. I, I should play on Steven's, you know, on <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 play this up for Steven and get him on his side. This side, and so I, I was reacting a bit to to the people who are not as fans of Finn as I am, and I overplayed that a little bit. No, I mean, I, you know, I it, feel it's... guilty. Well, you know, I think if the audience has a bias and you're just trying to correct for it by pushing a little harder the other way than you might otherwise have been inclined to, um, mm. you know, that's like you and I are having a dialogue about the book. Uh, you know, like Brian didn't like some of Harry's early actions and stuff. And I had to push back harder than I would have initially because, you know, if I'm talking with you about Harry, I could be like, yeah, he has a bit of a dick in the beginning. And I'm fine admitting mm-hmm. that. But if you kept mm-hmm. insisting that he has a dick, I'd be like, well, now hold up a minute, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. L- l- we can we can meet in the middle here. Um, right. Because you're, you're going at it too hard. You know, and right. the thing is, too, is the rest of the party chased after Finn, basically conceding her point that, look, if it's an illusion, we're fucked. So let's just act like it's not. Because if they actually had a serious concern that this might all still be illusion, uh, head fuckery they would have stayed behind to sit there and do their whatever you know salted and hashed uh communication you know secret whatever uh but the fact that they went running after her which is exactly what i would do if i was an illusionist i'd be like oh i'm gonna have one other party pretend to run off this way while i trap and separate them or something right yeah but they were like nope we got to keep up with finn because they actually believed it was actually her Uh uh-huh so i mean that's a good point yeah i think that if, if they were they really believed rather than just like, oh, we should do the work and be prudent. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they were like, no, actually, I assigned, you know, a serious risk to this. We need to stick around. They would have let Fen go out, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe there's the difference, too, that like if they could have run back to June, like say if they had all, I don't know, run down the, a hallway instead of through a portal, like mm-hmm. they would have stopped and stuck with him. Right. Yeah. It's There's also just yeah. wisdom and not splitting the group up more. So. There is also one other slight extenuating circumstance, but that is something that might be a bit of a spoiler, so I'm going to hold it off until the future. Oh, for future, like, spoiler after these chapters, you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Cool. Shall we get into the this week's texts? Yeah, man. Gotta say, it was a hell of a time. <laughs> it was, which is chapter 113's name, or title. Yeah. So... When we last left our heroes, they had traveled by Space Bean to this, I don't know, mysterious headquarters of, we never got their group name, the maybe baddies. We'll call them the murder hobos and we'll call our murder hobos the Council of Arches. Um, (laughs) All right. And there's, it opens up with some fun world building. Like it talks about, remember we talked about the architectural stuff in uh, Comfort. Yeah. And it's been a hundred chapters. And Alexander Wales goes back and explains why he planted that seed earlier. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was tattoo magic, making these houses really cheap, but that you can just plop them wherever. Yeah. And it, it's, it was just a cool, like, you know, we didn't need that. Right. But mm-hmm. there's the same houses here indicating that these are indeed murder hobos because they're traveling and these are temporary structures. Yeah. And it was just a really cool, like, oh, here's a good time to explain this. Yeah. So that was cool. I, I love that things always end up, usually getting looped back around to and explained or, or something. It's n- it's not just, you know, crazy random shit that's left out there. Yeah. Though those are, uh, 
those great at me. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, Heschnell seems to be one of the, I don't know if he's, he's one of the head talkers in this group, although not the only one who talks. Uh, he's the, uh, the dark elf. His eyes flick over to June and asks, which of you is the group leader? And Fen says, with a lot of bitterness in her voice, we're a democracy. <laughs> and this was mentioned in the Discord as part of the whole part of the feedback for the last part that I was talking about. Um, the group really needs to get some sort of a hierarchy figured out for field work because a lot of the problem was that Amril is called for a, a retreat and like they don't really have an established chain of command. And so June was kind of like, eh, I, do we really? And other people started following it. And it, it was a whole issue. This not having a clear chain of command in crisis situations is a big failing of theirs. And they got to work on this. Yeah, I don't see this being sustainable either. And it's funny because like, I'm glad you mentioned the democracy stuff. I think I mentioned this last episode too, but like we talked about it at length when they were debating what to do, like, do we fix the locus or whatever? And then Val gave the surprise vote mm -hmm. and you were like, let's talk about, you know, their voting and democracy and really, you know, how that group dynamic stuff. And I was like, okay, if you say so. And it turns out that <laughs> it, it is actually really interesting and important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I vote for Amaryllis to be the, be the public facing group leader. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they're in a situation like this and they're like, who's the leader? Be like, she is. And it just, even though I think she's probably the best qualified to be the real leader too, I think the real leader has to be June. By real leader, do you mean who sets the strategy goals or who calls the shots in combat situations or what is a real leader? Um, Yeah, the one that when they're not in front of like other people. So if, if it wasn't Heshnell asking who's the group leader, but they're back at base and saying, all right, what do we want to do next? Like they just do whatever June wants. Okay. Um. Again, I think that his decisions might not be the most wise, but it just, I feel like it has to work that way, right? It's, well, in that case, it's really difficult to have Amaryllis be the uh, face of the group because she can't, like, negotiate for the group if they can go back to base and just overturn everything that she said. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some important delegating there. It's kind of like with Harry letting Bones be the, whatever, Supreme Mugwump or whatever role she had. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, look, I don't want the job. And if I'm seen being able to overrule you all the time, then it'll undermine you. But I can if I really need to, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah. he delegates Damarillus 95% and leaves ultimate veto power to himself. Um, to only be used in extreme circumstances. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like, there's nothing wise about that. But it's just like because he's the main character and his life is working more or less on story rules, like, he can't just be like, okay, you be the main character, Amaryllis. I'll be in your party now, right? Yeah. Like, sorry, y'all are in my party. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so they that is something I'm sure eventually they will get around to, I hope. Um, but uh, Palada is not sure whose side um, to be on here. And uh, if Uther were to return. And she says... Uh, Heschnell tries to interrupt her and says, look, we're going to speak more inside. And she finishes her sentence and then turns to Heschnell and says, you know, I have seniority, right? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> and I like that because it looks like this murder hobo band is just having as many hierarchy problems as our murder hobo band is, which is probably a common thing among murder hobos. I think you're right. I think murder hobos don't become murder hobos because they're good at conforming and following orders. <laughs> right. I think it's the exact opposite. <laughs> they temporarily stick together as long as the murdering is good. That's right. And the hoboing isn't too bad either. Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to pull this out because it seems like all right. Well, there's uh, I forget which one of the the murder hobos points it out, but they're like, "Oh my god, you look like Dahlia," and that's it was like three of them, I think. Yeah, but the first one was here. I think it was mm-hmm. um, Heshnell, but because she takes off her helmet finally, mm-hmm. and uh, she looks like Uther's first daughter. And so this is I pulled this out because there's a non-zero chance that she somehow actually is. But like with amnesia, um, Ooh, yeah. I I'm putting that on the low end of the guesses. Um, I think that e- it what it really jumped out at me for was that either it shows that her l- her looks weren't invented on the spot for June's tastes uh, or the DM can rewrite history. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because unless they were planning, unless the DM was having planning on, on having June come in 500 years ago in game time and yeah. had crafted Uther's daughter to look like June's wet dream. Um, Which is kind of creepy. Yeah. So it seems like there's either some history, history rewriting or maybe psychology rewriting on June's part. I don't know. That's interesting though, right? Yeah. That's, that's a whole thing, which hadn't occurred to me when I was reading these chapters. I don't think it occurred to me when I was reading it either. It occurred to me when I was putting my notes together. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, they have an impromptu pre-meeting meeting because uh, (laughs) Val's condition is becoming an apparent problem. Apparently, there's some clever warding around their stronghold that will block her somehow. Yeah. So they got to demonstrate that pre-meeting meetings are tight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They've got to demonstrate that she's a soul-killing monster and uh or a demon killing monster with an inferno scope yeah which they do by killing a demon down there and uh, we get to see the hells in person for the first time <laughs> initially i was kind of hyped to see what they looked like and then the hype train turned right around and smashed my balls um <laughs> i after the course of this just glimmer into hell i'm like okay yeah i'm 100 percent on board with the kill all demons train choo choo <laughs> yeah <laughs> fucking jerks um uh, yeah my i i pulled this out because uh the similar thing out here um because june after like talking about uh the, what the hells looks like and what this demon is doing he comments on the fact that uh valencia like let them watch the devil or the demon torture the dude for a little while before she killed it and he's like i i, I was wondering why she didn't kill him before the guy was made to cut off his finger uh, but in the context of the hells and screaming insanity of a trillion people being tortured forever, that, that led to, you know, a big old rabbit hole. And it, I think this was the first time that it occurred to me that Valencia can see into the hells all the time and is constantly seeing this. I mean, this is just like le- hell level in the hundreds and there's 9,000 of them. She's constantly seeing this sort of awful shit going down. And I, I am kind of shocked that she stayed sane since this started happening. Um, and then I thought, has she stayed sane? <laughs> <laughs> Was she ever sane? I mean, look at her upbringing. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, yeah, three, 321 is one of the good ones, right? You're lucky if you mm-hmm. end up in hell 321. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a hellish nightmare. Go, go figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe she's more evil under the surface than initially we were led to believe, or she's just, super stoic because she knows she's doing the best she can. Mm. So, you know, like, I don't know, you and I could turn on our TVs or I guess go to YouTube or whatever and Google videos of people starving in the third world, but we don't. 
I, well, the thing is, is like Val doesn't get a choice, right? She kind of constantly has her radio tuned to that dial. I imagine she at least has to look down there when she grabs demons or assigns one of her 10,000 tendrils to one. Yeah, because well, I, I, I was going to use the example of us being aware of suffering in the world, and we're not crazy, but like we could basically volunteer to subject ourselves to it where she doesn't. It's like yeah. Superman hearing everyone dying on Earth all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know. You know, I... I guess you can get used to anything with enough time. Maybe she's just that good and pure that even that can't destroy her. My my money's on the other side that she's, she gets, like, you know, some kind of permanent strength and whatever from the from the devils. Like, mm. she... she her, I, and I use devil and demon interchangeably, even though I know they're different, but they're both hellspawn. But yeah. uh, they, the you know, infernals, the, I think, is the gender neutral term for them. <laughs> the species neutral term. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the yeah. Two genders of infernal are demon and devil. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible that she's just pure good and innocent. But that, you know, every time that shows up in fiction, that's the one who would like just break down sobbing, right? Um, yeah. No, I think that she gets some of her steely composure from kind of constantly sucking in devils. And when she's not currently eating one, she's still kind of got the aftertaste of one. Mm-hmm. Cause she mentioned, or rather it was mentioned in her little interlude chapter that some of their habits or something sort of stuck around. Yeah. Like some other patterns of thought rather. So maybe that's where that's coming yeah. from. What I'm telling well, you is that she's evil. That's what I'm getting from it too. Yes. Yeah, so there's more evidence that she's evil in the therapy chapter, so. Yeah. Let's keep going so we can get to that one. We are moving along at a decent clip this time. We uh, go to chapter 114, The Meeting of the Minds, where all these minds meet in a room. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Um, oh, yeah, so they're, they're in the Space Hobos uh, murder, or the Space Murder Hobos stronghold. And there's this super old dude, a girl wearing a haunted choker necklace, and Heshnal summons a book like Mjolnir or like Chidi yeah. from The Good Place. Um, Ooh, I don't remember, remember that? that happening. No, he could just summon a book. It was one small thing. I forget if it was, I think it must have been in the first season, but uh, yeah, he give, like he gets the power to summon books because he's a philosopher in heaven, right? So cool. Uh, it, you know, it's really fun. He even comments how he feels like he's summoning uh, Thor's hammer. But nice. uh, why did I bring that out? Oh, because it's probably library magic. Aha. I mean, it could just be good old-fashioned telekinesis, but it's a book in particular, right? That's a good point. And actually, yeah. so far as we know, there isn't good old-fashioned telekinesis in this magic system. Uh, that's true. There are, there are newfangled, confusing versions of telekinesis, but like, just move this with my mind is kind of overpowered, right? Yeah, yeah. That shit would get ramored real fast. Right, yeah. yeah um, maybe it is library magic, then. We still yeah. haven't seen how that works, so. Maybe. Anyway, there's there's a funny bit. I think the uh, the possessor, like in this little girl's body, or I guess young woman. Wait, hold on. No, it was a little girl, right? Uh, I think it was a young woman, but I don't know. The young woman was Either the one. caretaker for uh, um, Everett, I think. Oh no, it well, was a young little woman. girl. Is soulless. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, it's this creature called uh, um, Thorgox, and Fen is like, are we going to get introduced to this creepy thing or not? And um, anyway, so the, the, what is it? Heshnel, the particulars must remain secret, I'm afraid. 
And Solace just, I just imagine like with the eager bright eyes of a five-year-old is like, oh, I know Thorgox, gets up and waves. Hi, Thorgox. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a great way to just like keep these people on the back foot. Yeah. I just like that. It was really cool. And it like felt like the world was deeper and richer because there's like these two ancient characters that we have here that go way back and we don't know anything about it. It was neat. Yeah, and Solace declines to elaborate, but just the fact that like she wasn't like, oh my god, it's Thorgox, we gotta get out of here, right? Is already good mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. But I just like how they're like, we're gonna keep this, you know, mysterious thing a secret, and one of their party, like the one that you would think would be the least likely to know some old monster, is like, Oh, I know that dude. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a chill guy. Uh, so they tell them about the infinite library which has all the books that will ever be published uh but the books in the library change whenever anyone enters or leaves the library because the library can't account for itself so while there's people in it they are not uh, it's like they were erased from the time stream or whatever uh so they can just kind of see an imperfect future with it um i thought that was really neat that they included the whole the people inside the library can't be accounted for and the library can't account for itself and i think that that you really couldn't have a a work of fiction that didn't do something like that because then the library would just be a perfect oracle and you could go there and read about everything that's going to happen and then not be able to change it. And that would be, I don't know, it, it could, might be an interesting exploration of like what it does to someone's psychology or something like how what happened to John and Watchmen, but it ultimately it's not, uh, it's not this kind of story. It's not a, a adventure epic to have something like that. Yeah, so John and Watchmen was one of the two other examples I was going to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. The so his situation wasn't that like he could perceive all of time at once. It was that he was living all of his life simultaneously, right? Yes, but also he gets to live um, infinitely long, I believe, right? I suppose, but like maybe that doesn't include before he was born, unless maybe it does because he's that powerful. I guess I'm not sure where his power ends, and it, so it would be interesting. You know, if you're in the the library reading about the future and you're like, oh, no, I can't impact the future. Well, you find the book about you and it has a chapter about you going nuts reading about yourself in the library. But like the reason that that doesn't work is because if it says and then later he went home and had a turkey sandwich and it's like, ah, I will have chicken instead, you know, get Mm -hmm. fucked book. So Mm -hmm. like, how could that work? Um, But yeah, so rather than dive into that and make us wonder forever about it they just say yeah that doesn't work it's like nicholas cage's character in the movie next i was wondering if we could see two minutes into the future right yep and the future changes every time he looks at it cool yeah which is how future looking would work i think so yes yeah i uh i never saw the whole movie but i, I saw the intro bit i think on tv or something once so i watched until the first commercial now that, that part was pretty neat that was probably the best part of the movie it's been a long time since i've seen it and it had some mm-hmm. plot throughout, but really it was just the setup and the concept that was so fun for me. So, of course, yeah. it's Nicolas Cage and he's amazing. So, yeah, man is a true American treasure. Did you get around to watching um, Willy's Wonderland yet? No, I have not. <laughs> it's it's just a surreal, weird movie. At, if, at if anyone point, likes Nicolas Cage gonna... and wants to watch him act really, really hard in a really interesting way, check this movie out. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to watch it at some point just because <laughs> you, you can't go your life without seeing this thing, right? It's weird. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it like on my immediate list. It was just, I'd never seen a movie do this before and I don't want to say what it is. So yeah, maybe someday when I'm coming down off of some kind of drug trip or something. Yeah. It wouldn't be a bad time for it. Yeah. Dr. Strange though, right. first on drugs. Oh, on drugs. Well, or coming down. 
I would say coming down maybe. I don't want to like waste my time on the drug watching watching a movie because and even there's just so many more interesting things to do. And even if it was, I think it would just be freaky to watch a movie like that, you know, with anything that's too visually exciting on drugs. But maybe that's okay. just me. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's that's all hypothetical speaking because we've never done drugs. Uh, per the last report of the head librarian, talking about the infant library here, uh, they are told that there are two years left before no more books are published. Uh, which, when we were talking to Masters, he had said that there were five years left, last he had heard. So it got cut more than in half in a really short period of time. And I was wondering what the hell the group did to, like, cut that time down so much. Uh, like, was it because they created their own nation or some shit? Um, one, I meant to laugh and agree with your comment on our, uh, non-existent history of drug use, but I was taking a drink of water. And mm. two, um, they, I think they said something about how their information on the library is like only a few weeks old and they suspect Masters is information is older. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't like, I don't know when the discrepancy would have occurred, but yeah, it could be the nation building thing. Um, I think you, you threw out the idea that it was the uniquities getting them involved and that could also be it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, now they've involved a government agency that might uncover the secret of the game, et cetera. Right. So mm -hmm. it could be part of that. I don't know. Um, it honestly, I'm still not losing any sleep over this countdown clock. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that they're going to be on air for two years and trying to meet some deadline before the world ends like that. It's going to be something else. Also, yes. uh, they get a quest. They do. I like how it says quest accepted. Not like, do you want to accept this quest? They're always just accepted. Right. Yeah. But, he doesn't get a choice. Yeah. We're going to need books. Lots of books. <laughs> I'm glad the DM still has a sense of humor. Um, mm. So let's see. Yeah, the latest report from the Infinite Library is that the world will stop publishing books roughly two years from now. The man who left the library changed the future. And if you go in, you'll change the future too. But perhaps that's for the best. Yeah. I don't know if to read into that, that that's definitely will change the future badly. And the encouraging him to go is like, you know, just to watch him get bit in the butt. Don't. But honestly, best case scenario could just mean that they don't need to publish books anymore because everyone will be using the new Airbnb internet in two years. People still publish books, though, even with the internet. On, on Earth, they do. But um, you don't think they would on Arab? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, and it, maybe it depends on what qualifies as a book. You know, like it is a is a memo or a scroll a book or is it just like published works? And what does it mean to publish mm. something? I can imagine right. everything being moved to online just because, you know, books are a thing on earth because we can get around the globe in a day. Right. Yeah. Um, if, if it, if you, well, I guess they've got teleportation pads. Never mind. I was yeah, going to say, cause it takes faster. yeah months and months to cross 80,000 miles. Um, but yeah, they can, they can go around the earth in a second. Hmm. I don't know. It still could just be the internet. And it could have been moved from five to two years because once they got the nation going and got like the infrastructure for the scientific revolution started, uh, thing is accelerating that timeline, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's that's that the good be, version. It, let's be right. real. It might not be the good. It's probably not the good version. Right. This is not the good place. Yeah. It maybe the game is over and you know going to be turned off because June is going to find the lost king and they're going to nope the fuck out of there. Hmm. That that would be sad for the people on Arab yeah do, do you know we're going to need books lots of books is that a reference to something i assumed it was going to be I, I i thought it was the matrix we're going to need guns lots of guns oh okay right yes yeah. that sounded familiar and then he says the same line in uh john wick oh cool or one the of the first john one? wicks i think it was the second one whatever one had morpheus in it 
Okay, not the first one then, because that's the only one I've seen so far. Ah, uh, I think it was the second one then. I don't think I finished the third one. I think the version I downloaded was corrupted in like the last fifteen minutes, and I never found a finished version of it. But oh, I mean, I never pour, I never pirate stuff. Uh, my electricity went out when I paid for it with my yes. money, and then they didn't give you your money back because they're bastards. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So the super old dude here is Everett, and Tom invented him. One of the uh, mm-hmm. the gang from Kansas. And I liked the uh, the explanation for him. He wanted to have somebody who was like really powerful, but didn't know what he was doing. Okay. And Tom says, "You'll figure some." St- or June says to Tom, "You'll figure some stuff out, so I don't have to narrate. Like for each of your spells, figure out what you might have been intending to do instead." And he says, "Absolutely, I'm going to be the bumblingest sorcerer anyone has ever seen." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Raymer says, "So long as you, don't ha- you, so long as you don't do worse on any of your checks." I can only pull so much weight. Yeah. And it seems like this guy is going to be awesome if he ever does anything. I'm I'm so looking forward to this because having those kind of like bumbling sorcerer people around is always fun as hell. And I love that, you know, you can incorporate those into, into tabletop games. It's one of the few things you really couldn't do in a video game because it would have to be a scripted character, you know? Yeah, it would have to be like, you know, press X or a 5% chance of this spell to work or something, right? well no no like the spells would still work as normal but it couldn't ever be just like you keep casting fireball or whatever like each time it has to be something else that he was trying to i don't know light a pipe or or whatever else he comes up with and accidentally casts fireball (laughs) uh and and like as a player you can come up with a new neat thing every single time but uh you know like oh man it's dark in here i'm trying to trying to light a match so i can see something oh whoops i blew up all the enemies but in the video game it didn't really work out that's a good point yeah there's only so much flexing room they have there um Mm -hmm. there was a line too about uh raymer wanted to veto that character and june was like you don't have veto powers i do Mm -hmm. and i think that's how their new democracy here on air will work too (laughs) oh man um so there and i had to throw this out too because this guy is super old but i think he looks human um but he was one of uther's companions and so there's this bit about like how magic can heal old bodies because like we've seen that right if you can restore wounds you can heal aging but uh souls deteriorate over time i guess just for most people this guy's got some business and you know solace gets i guess solace's soul must not age either right um Uh, or maybe like super super slowly i mean it could get reborn like when she gets reborn right oh yeah it it did get reborn and just kind of reassimilated yeah that's a good one for it um and then that i, mean, the, I think it looks like he's on death's door so only so much that it can do <laughs> presumably he's he looked like that for 420 years though right yeah he looks like dumbledore in the first movie yeah uh, there was a oh yeah the um princess bubblegum uh palita uh her species reincarnates so presumably her soul doesn't get old either or does this similar thing to uh to what happens to solace could be yeah. oh that reminds me there was a funny line in the the last chapter when they're looking into hell and Polita looked all like it said that she looked sick or something. I'm like, you look sick. You're the only one here who doesn't have to worry about going there. Mm-hmm. Well, like I guess Val too. Um, but, she can still be disgusted and sickened by all the bad shit going down. Oh, I know, but it was just funny that if like when you know June's looking around the group, she's the one that looks the most grossed out. And I guess yeah, it's it's a bummer to see that. Oh, that sucks for everyone else, right? Yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, so they're talking about the library, uh, the infinite library, and how it can be abused. Uh, they're already trying to ramer the shit. And Everett is like, nope, the library caused uh, eight exclusions. And um, they... <laughs> Uh, Occult says more once the Second Empire got a hold of it, and Heschel kind of like defends them a little bit. And this was my first clue that Heschel was one of the ex Nazis from the Second Empire. But you know, we get a lot more clues throughout the chapter uh, where they basically come out and say it. it's not just a clue. Uh, and you know, I thought that was that was kind of interesting that the the murder hobo group are okay with an ex Nazi in the group. And I mean, I, okay seems like some of them don't really like him. I can see it being understandable that you might take an ex-Nazi into your group if you really need his abilities and saving the world is on the line. And the U.S. government kind of did the same thing in the 50s anyway when we, when not we, when they brought in the uh, the Nazi rocket scientists so we could fight against the Soviets. I keep saying we. God, that's that nationalism, man. It gets really drummed into you, doesn't it? Yeah, we as in humans are, and uh, not even actually your ancestors. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um yeah, I mean it we've we've been looking at the Second Empire people as Nazis because I think that's what June called them and that's our cursory look. I and of course I guess they did wipe out the druids. I guess I was going to say I didn't we don't quite know what the level of badness they had was. Um mm-hmm. or maybe this guy was just like he worked there but it wasn't really his jam. Um but he seems like he doesn't really regret his old job. So um, Right. I don't know. It's I don't know if they like have forgiven him or if they're just pragmatic, like you said about. Well, you know, we need we need people with muscle. Yeah. I mean, it's also been a couple hundred years, like you said. So I mean, yeah. It you know, eventually you can atone for whatever bad stuff you did, mm-hmm. or that you were complicit in, or whatever. Right? Maybe he personally saved everyone's life here. Right? Yeah. I don't. Oh man, it reminds me of. I think it was a comic book. I don't remember which one now. Uh, it, it was just a single issue. It was following some some other character, but there was a single issue where there was like a really old man in his seventies or something retired in the suburbs. Just followed him around for a while. He was being a nice dude, and some guy shows up and he basically forces the old man to commit suicide. He's like, "Either you hang yourself, or I'm going to kill you." And the it's because the old man was a Nazi in World War Two. And was responsible for some shit. And the guy was like, look, that was so many years behind me. I've changed. I've moved. Like, I'm I'm a good person now. And the guy goes, I don't care. You were a Nazi. And I know you're going to die of old age in a few years anyway. But this is justice. You died today. And uh, and he did. And I never was really, really quite sure what to make of that. There's something deep in me that says, like, yeah, that was justice. I'm glad someone finally got him and made him pay. But I don't know, man. Didn't they like just sentence somebody who's like a hundred or almost, I don't know, pushing a hundred years old on like Nazi charges from way back in the day? I think that just happened at some point in the not too distant past. I don't know. I don't think you should be. I don't like the idea of someone getting away with that shit. And even if they are a hundred, like it still feels like justice to bring them down. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Unless he spent the the last 50 or 60 years, like just being the most repentant altruistic person on the planet right um i i think if they've dedicated their life to making up for the bad they did then i'm okay with it but it's they're certainly not arresting him because he poses a threat to anybody right uh yeah it it is for justice and i can get behind that especially if he's again unrepentant i i do think that people can change and they can become better and so you know i don't want to say that like in a thousand clearly 
he was clearly rehabilitated, so it was retribution. And I know there's people who are not down with retribution. I don't know how dehabilitated they had to be to be complicit in the Holocaust. I mean, they were just doing what everyone does. They went to work. Did Well, their work was not like everyone else's job. You're right. So it did take some uh, special stuff. Anyway, um, I, I see what you're saying. And this guy, I guess we'll see if he's uh, right. if he's a rehabilitated Nazi or if he's a secret Nazi. Right. Uh, anyways, June tries to play down how powerful he is. He says that uh, he's been learning Grogler for a while and not really making good progress. And, uh, you know, he's gotten some proficiency with blood magic after a short lesson, but that doesn't make me the chosen one. And, like, at this point, I think he's really hiding his powers from the other group. So uh, it seems to me that he thinks they're going to be dangerous allies, uh, dangerous enemies rather than powerful allies. And he just wants to get this over and done with and get away from them as opposed to like recruiting them. He's hiding his his powers in true statements, right? Yeah. He's like, well, I'm not getting a language thing right away, but (laughs) I yes, I'm proficient in other things and uh, faster than one might expect. So it's, it's kind of interesting because. We know why he doesn't have the language skill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he does have blood magic, so it's it's interesting that like we know what he's talking about. I wonder if Uther's character sheet was so constrained because he had the knack, as I think Masters called it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was that he could learn anything really fast. Well, June learns lots of stuff real fast, but so, only forty things. Yeah, but only forty things. Maybe you know Uther was able to do all of them, or was able to re-roll his character sheet with more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, in fact, I bet some of those exclusions on soul magic and skill of reallocating came from Uther monkeying with that too much, right? Probably. Yeah. Well, June, uh, the, what it ultimately comes down to this whole meeting is uh, they're saying when Uther was around, the threats against the world kept getting worse and worse as long as he was here to the point where the world was almost completely overwhelmed and destroyed after he disappeared. And... Uh, uh, and some people think it's because he was here that the threats uh, were getting worse because once he disappeared, they stopped coming. And uh, June says the question is the direction of causality. If he died early on, would the threats have never reared their heads? Or did he only arise because there were threats that only someone like him could deal with them? And I, my take on this is that I'm pretty darn sure if Uther had died early, the DM would have stopped. I don't think he would have kept going with all the threats once Uther was gone because you know, there's there's no additional story, there's no additional fun for him. Like, he'd let the last threat run its course, and if that destroyed the world, then the world's destroyed, but I don't think he'd keep coming up with bigger, badder ones with Uther gone. So, um, if that's the case, which I suspect it is, then it probably would be the best thing for the world to, like, kill Uther as soon as you can. Like, when everyone says, if once you get, it, can, if you can time travel, the first thing you do is kill baby Hitler. So what's the second thing you would do? It'd be like on air, the first thing you do is kill baby Uther and, and then decide what you do with your second time travel. Yeah, I'm torn. I mean, because it's still unclear, especially from the point of view of the Airbians, you know, because we know there's there's some game level fuckery involved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from their point of view, they have, I think, really no good what good way to come down on either side of the fence of like, did the monsters show up because Uther was here or did Uther show up because the monsters were here? Yeah. I think that's why the other murder hobo party is so split, but based on what we know, don't you think that it's cause Uther was here? All right. So you're playing a video game and so mm. Uther gets by the skin of his teeth over and over, right? Mm. What happens if you fail in a video game? 
That's not I mean, rhetorical. you're assuming, yeah, you're, you're assuming, well, if I fail in the video game, then I go back to the last checkpoint or safe spot. Exactly. Yeah. For, all, for all we know, that's exactly how this happened, right? Um, okay. If, if Uther died, then it's like, okay, yep, let's, uh, let's go back to the last checkpoint and just try this again. And this time so I'm going to have him, you know, not fuck up this time, right? So it'd be literally impossible to kill baby Uther. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, Uther wasn't, well, I mean, there was the, the meat suit that Arthur body jumped when he was like a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they, if you killed that meat suit, if like Arthur would have gotten someone else's body. Um, okay. Well, once, okay. So once he's jumped yeah, to the yeah. body, at least it's impossible so, to but kill. They, they would have to, that'd be one big confusion point from them, right? Um, yeah. When was he? I guess they knew about the dream skiering, but yeah, I guess it's just. Uh, I don't know. You would think that it would be at some level impossible. You know, like if June was in comfort and every threat he's faced so far was immediately all up in his biz. Like, there's nothing he could have done with his current skill set to over to outmaneuver it, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know. Some attack Apache helicopter would crash from the sky and land onto your group of enemies, and you know you'd be like, oh, that was a close one, right? <laughs> um yeah i, well, I don't think that they... or just like the book ends after book one when he dies in the tower <laughs> yeah he, he bleeds up from rat rot um yeah yeah i think that i don't think it's possible to kill uther um for that reason now june i think it's a different circumstance um, Why is that? like well first off he's playing on diamond hardcore iron mode iron man mode so any deaths he have he has are permadeaths okay and I don't think we, I guess the fact that that's an option suggests that it might not have been the same box that was chucked for Uther. Um, The, the DM seemed to imply that like, look, I'm not going to save your ass. You know, I've got, you know, Arab has problems. I want to see if you can fix them. Like it, it didn't seem like the same kind of thing. Although if you're just playing a video game, it's not clear why you have to, you know, mind puppet somebody who actually existed on earth. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. We'll, we'll get okay. some answers, I'm sure. Okay. Thanks for letting me him and ha on that for five whole minutes. But it's a this is the crux of this whole chapter. They're 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 trying to figure out like June's laying out the reasons that he thinks that it's probably not a great idea to kill him, and the differences between him and Uther, and his best understanding of how Uther worked. And um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of just giving my thoughts on all that. So yeah, there's yeah, uh, that's what the chapter's all about. Yeah, uh, he he just comes right out and says like, uh, you know there are things you'll need to understand and it'll take a long time to explain, but I'm willing to do it to start with. I met the entity that did the choosing and he told me in no uncertain terms that nothing is going to save me if I failed. And right. so he's like, Oh yeah, you guys know how you have gods. Well, I met like the God of gods. Um, he just casually drops that just bomb right in their face. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what it would take to actually surprise these. Well, I guess they get surprised by the hot dog, which was outstanding. Um, yes. But and the monster manual from D and D. But they take it so calmly, like yeah. you know, they're sure their minds are blown. But like, what does it what does it take to flabbergast one of these people? Well, I mean, they lived with Uther and saw the shit that he did, so probably a lot. That's valid. They've seen some. They've seen some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So then, yeah, he does. Uh, they they pull out the D and D monster manual and mm-hmm. Heshnell. He's like, "What am I looking at?" And he says, Arthur and I played this game. In that book there, Dark Girls are described as, you know, living deep underground, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I came here and found out that was basically true. And yeah. it's, uh, he just stares at him and starts flipping through the pages. And it's just, I don't know. Oh, and then there's a question I had to ask. He says, I hope that he wouldn't be too terribly scandalized to find the Z word. 
Did, yeah. we, ever, did we ever find out why that was such a no-no word here? We have not found that out yet. That's silly. Yes, it is. All right. Well. Uh, it's definitely a bad word. At this point, June knows and he's just not telling us. But he brought our attention back to it for the first time in 50 chapters. So yeah. maybe we'll find out here soon. So Yeah. And yeah, Heschel says that that seems pretty unbelievable. Uh, and June is like, <laughs> yeah, well, watch this. I wish for a hot dog. And the hot dog <laughs> pops into his hand. And he takes a bite of it. And they finally kind of flip out a bit. And uh, the, at least the warder does. And Paladin says, you used an excluded magic outside the exclusion zone. Uh, and then the rock person's like, oh, he's the chosen one. <laughs> Everyone get your guns out. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, you know, I would not have expected that from summoning a hot dog. But boy, that sure as hell backfired on him. He just did excluded magic outside of the exclusion zone, which is literally against the laws of all the physics as they know them. So, uh, you know, he was, he was, I think he was already kind of telling them that he's the chosen one and all, but he really, really, uh, raised all their alarm bells with this. Yeah. I think it's funny. I mean, just Heschnell, this sounds unbelievable. You seem like you understand that. Yeah. But check this out. Um, this is, I remember the DM like offered him that, that throwaway shit wish. And it turns out that it worked like it, he actually got it. So this is our first time seeing that. And mm. I don't know if he's trying to demonstrate that, like, he's not the chosen one here or whatever. He's trying to demonstrate that, uh, hey, you know, I I know I know stuff I shouldn't know. That book here has information about your race that it has no business knowing. Um, I claim to have met the entity who runs this place. Watch this. Hot dog. Um, <laughs> and it's just that's the stupidest, funniest thing ever. And uh, I love that they don't know that it's only a hot dog that he can make. Oh, that's they, a good they point. They probably assume he can make anything. Why you're right? I didn't even occur to me. There's absolutely no reason for them to think that he can He's only do hot dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like his third or fourth one because he he did one for science, then two more to see if like they had any combat application. Which, <laughs> I mean, if you have time to shove a hot dog down someone's throat, you've got time to kill them some easier way, right? Yeah. Um, but I did want to think point out that I think ex nihilo is the excluded magic. I remember that being that on the be list of uh, yeah, yeah. exclusions. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just too bad he didn't wish for something less useless than hot dogs. Well, what he wished for was more wishes. And the DM said, granted, you have 100 wishes for a hot dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, so so they're talking about him being the chosen one. And Uth- uh, not Uther. Everett gets to talking about Uther. And saying that Uther uh, considered the case of narrative cycles and how they might be made extensible, given a few tight constraints, uh, though it's unclear where those constraints might have come from. Uh, he says that uh, Uther said the main cast of characters must always remain the same, never varying. The threats they faced must also remain the same or nearly so. The cast are free to wander as they please in the course of the narrative, but they must never grow, never change, never become more powerful. And... Um, I, I know that I think we mentioned this very early on in the podcast, but like that was one of the primary problems with long running comic book series too, mm-hmm. is that they, they just need to end at some point or you're just getting the same stories over and over again. And you, you outgrow those and move on to other things. Um, but you know, that's also one of the, the bummer parts of, I, I know there's all this romanticism about like when you're reading, you have always your friends with you and all these other worlds you can escape to. But since all stories like have to end, if you live your life through stories as a kid, it's kind of a bad idea because eventually the the story ends and your friends leave forever. And 
you know, then you're alone again. And that kind of sucks. Yeah, I I see what you're saying there, but I guess I like more just straight to whatever is saying. What the hell is he talking about? Like they all grew stronger. They all had personality changes and growth, right? Uh, apparently not so much. I don't know. They must have not. If Luther considered those to be rules for what was going on around him. I, I, that, that, I'm not sure if Uther was lying to Everett, Everett's misremembering, or he's gone senile in his last, in his old, old, old age. Um, but this, this, this is nothing like what we know of how Uther progressed and how June's group is already progressing. Yeah. Like never, never become more powerful, never change, never grow. Like, you know, the, the never grow thing and never change that happens in stories all the times too. I don't, this doesn't sound like anything Uther would have ever said. I think maybe this is what Uther was trying to aim for when he was trying to subvert the narrative to make it to make the narrative happy and keep giving it the thing it wants without having to always have the change and and the stuff because he wanted to he wanted to avoid the escalation right like that's that's the next thing that I pulled out here that's mentioned a little bit later uh it said that uh there needs to be some element of change to keep a story compelling. If the cast changes, they can face new different challenges, conflicts whose resolutions might be in question. Each cycle results in change and growth, trivializing old conflicts. Escalation, he says, is inevitable if you're constrained by an unchanging cast. And Luther had the unchanging cast. It was just him and his knights. And the uh, they did get constant escalation as things just got worse and worse around him. And the world kept getting reduced by billions of people and, and bad things. Well, we don't know how many billions it went down when he was alive. Presumably some. Like, he didn't get to every horror before it could wipe out people. But I know that when he was around, there were 20 billion. Now they're down to five. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it's been since he left. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, that's definitely a thing, right? Where um, escalation happens. The, yeah. the And, you know, just because we're talking comic books, therefore, it's not a far leap to Marvel movies. Like, think of the... Um, the the scale of the threat in everyone's like origin movie yeah yeah and it's like, like an iron man he's he's got kidnapped by some terrorists and has to escape right yeah and then the, then the bad guy is uh actually it's the dude um who does a very compelling bad guy um and it's like what's gonna happen he's gonna get a suit that you know yeah. tony doesn't stop him which like would be scary if he if it was tony stark who went bad but this is you know an angry dude he's not gonna be able to do that much until the government whatever sets him on fire so like um, in the first Thor movie, there was a robot that was going to destroy this small town in rural America that Thor really liked. That's right. <laughs> and perhaps 100 people. Um, yeah. And then you think, all right, well, where's it end? Well, it ends with literally the threat of the annihilation of the entire universe. Or half of the entire universe. Well, when they're fighting Thanos in Endgame, he said he was going to destroy the universe and rebuild it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it so, went from half to all in the course of one movie. That's right. And that's a funny <laughs> thing that, like uh the tv show supernatural did really well and then eventually played on the show got so meta towards the end it was great but for a while it struggled because every season they'd raise the stakes a bit mm-hmm. and then it's like okay well this season is ending with the showdown between lucifer and uh the archangel michael so yeah. like this is the um revelations part of the bible right like this is the end of the world and that's yeah. that's pretty early on. So it's like, where do you go from there? Okay, well, uh, uh, the whole Earth, you know, the 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 universe, and like it just gets kind of ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it clearly struggled and floundered for those uh, 
I guess the other thing I was going to say is just that like we've all seen shows that like ran on for too long and didn't get canceled. Yeah, yeah. And so that's they they get stale and they suck, right? Well, so I got a question. Considering the MCU, like based on WandaVision and Loki, for spoilers, if you haven't seen those yet, go see them. Uh, but like they're still continuing to go bigger. And, you know, they, they already had the fate of the universe in the previous uh, Marvel, what was it, cycle? Uh, the the 20, 20 years leading up to uh, Avengers. And now they're going on to, like, you know, multi-universe threats that that start threatening universes even beyond our own, which I think Worm did too. I never got that far, but that's what I heard. And, like, at some point, I don't know. I don't think the MCU is going to be able to keep going for another 30 years because they're just going to have to jump too big of a shark at some point and they're going to fall apart in my opinion i <laughs> no, don't know maybe i'm wrong i, I think you're right if, you, if you're once your shark is the multiverse like where do you go from there right but yeah. I'll, i think that like loki could have done 90 percent of what it did without the multiverse stuff and well it could i mean it had to have some multiverse stuff it didn't have to it didn't have to have multiverse stakes right mm-hmm. it had to have the element for a lar- large part of the story but like that was all about the kind of like personal growth and self-actualization of that character and yeah but we Wanda- can see where the mcu is going yeah yeah but wandavision too was like mostly just about her overcoming her grief and the the tragedy of what she went through like mm-hmm. it very very loosely at the end it ties into to larger stuff um so i guess what i'm getting at is that the i mean maybe they'll you're right i, I haven't seen the trailer for the eternals um i'm given to understand that they're a big deal uh so is the Eternals part of the MCU cinematic? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's they're. I mean, I, yeah, it is. I thought it was like a one-off or something. I don't know if they're going to, how they're going to incorporate them. Um, but I know that it is Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, so again, I'm not sure what their deal is, but like, um, black widow, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie had no stakes because we knew where everything was going, but it still made it for a good story. I didn't actually see it, so I can't comment on if it made a good story. It was, but good. I will take your word for it. Okay. I, my my selling point is that my wife doesn't. I mean, she she likes she's grown to like them over the years, but uh, she said this movie actually made me like uh, Black Widow. Oh, cool! So, and I tend to really like um, female action protagonists, so I'll probably enjoy it. It was good. Um, I think Rachel d- didn't like her that much just because like she didn't have really any depth. Um, like it was there if you squint, but only I watched them long enough to squint. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this actually gave some characterization to her. Um, okay. but yeah, it was fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, I guess getting back to, oh, go ahead. I, I can wrap it up or I can bring it back to this. Like okay. if, if this, and that seems like what was going on with Uther, right? Mm-hmm. They, they kept bringing in bigger and bigger sharks to jump over and that well, eventually aren't we gets getting old. That, aren't we getting that with June too? I think like we're the threats the... he's facing now compared to just the, the zombie Voltron or Team Blackheart are are massive in comparison to those. Yeah, but I think that there's um I mean there's nothing that they fought so far that couldn't be killed with a well timed void bomb. Like it's I, I think that what we're seeing with June is just like the the standard level of progression stuff. Like he hasn't grabbed some god hammer and smashed the demons through the planes of existence. So it's like true. he he's using regular you know mostly regular weapons that other people can use um mm-hmm. i think we're just getting him strong enough to be interesting okay the second he smashes somebody through a, a plane of existence into another dimension then i'll uh revise that statement okay <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I look forward to hearing your apology later when his planes of existences are smashed. Excellent. Uh, June does point out that different conflicts are possible if the hero becomes weaker. Uh, his not set out loud example is throw Superman some kryptonite if you want the conflict to be in doubt. And, uh, you know, that that is a good point. He We've already seen some of this. He had, like, all his companions taken away, which made him a lot weaker when he went solo mode. Uh, they took away some Entads when they fed them to Bethel. So I guess, and now June is like really against leveling due to his whole, you know, when I level, I go crazy until someone fixes me thing. So uh, I think he's getting some some throttles on his power at this point. It's interesting because I feel like his companions leaving him and him going solo mode for a little while didn't actually hurt him at all. If anything, it helped because he was able to run around and do what he wanted without worrying that like he's going to accidentally stab them or something um yeah but also like his his major opponent was knocked unconscious at the beginning of solo mode so that helps yeah Uh, and then with bethel eating stuff like i this is where i was at with like the entads in there that were left from uther um it doesn't seem like it would be fun for like the way that june ascends to godhood is by wearing a certain wearing a certain suit of armor Mm -hmm. like yeah, I'm I'm strong enough to punch mountain punch holes in mountains when I'm wearing this armor, and I'm a teenager with a decent physique when I'm not wearing it. Like that's not cool, right? Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Uh, I had one more thought on that. Um, the solo mode Bethel. Oh, the Entads. Mm, I don't know. I forgot it. <laughs> well, maybe your thought that you were having is that uh, Everett points out that they suffered and. And then I realized that you wouldn't just necessarily remove his companions for a while. You could cripple them by, like, cutting off Ben's arms or have Amaryllis lobotomized or something. And that would certainly slow down the escalation of threats by making the party weaker. But that would also really suck. Yeah, it sounds like um, there's insinuations that Uther might have tried that with his companions. Um, Or rather, like, let them come to harm. It's not like he went and blinded his friends, but um, like he intervened yeah. too late or something. Um, yeah, or didn't like try to fix it afterwards. That's right. Yeah. No. So, I mean, like, you know, it's all just guessing until we can ask Uther himself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think crippling his companions sounds like it's actually morally defensible if it meant the next monster flying over the horizon wouldn't be bigger than the last one. Yeah. But it would still suck to be one of Arthur's friends or Uther's friends when that's going down, right? Yeah. Um, and especially because he can't talk to them about it. Like right. the the other just main distinction and one one key difference in these two protagonists' stories is that Uther, for all we know, kept all of him all of his stuff to himself. Uh mm-hmm. and June's been full disclosure with basically as many people as possible since he got here. Right. Um, Even these murder hobos that are gonna try to kill him. Yeah, they're getting eighty percent disclosure and like so if if June, uh, say, did want to cut off Fen's arms, she would, well, Fen might not be narrative savvy enough, but if she if he tried to lobotomize Mary or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she'd be like, hell no, that's not going to stop the, the dragons. Or she'll say, I understand I'm willing to, to bite this bullet to stop the dragons. Um, mm-hmm. That yeah. said, I feel like she could do a lot more good with her whole brain. So, yeah. Yeah. It Well, I mean, but that's the problem. She can do a lot more good, so the challenges have to be that much stronger to be challenging i mean i guess not to sound callous but i'd probably kill the doe and grack before i 
you know, maimed Mary's brain because she's going to start the scientific revolution that brings oh, Arab into the 21st because, century. Because Amaryllis is the one you want to bone the most and you don't want to bone the Grack or the Dro. <laughs> I mean, that, that you know. I, I'm the, just giving the, you the same the, shit I got for Fen. <laughs> oh, I know. I was going to I was going to lean into it and say that, you know, her her perfect tits are purely a coincidence. Um, it, there's, it is, a, there's a shortage of perfect tits in this world and it would be a, a, a tragedy to harm yours. <laughs> I like how that doesn't apply to the locust, which there is definitely a shortage of. <laughs> but, no. um, I mean, which ones uh, of the companions, which are going to do more good for the world? Um, yeah. You know, the the dough isn't helping anybody right now anyway. Um, Grack, his his goals are small. If if June, you know, if the outcome of this meeting was they cut his head off, Amaryllis would go right back to her base and keep working on her project to bring the scientific revolution to air, right? Yeah. So that's that's why I wouldn't want to lobotomize her in a very long version of that. <laughs> I think the most one of the most interesting things about this is that Uther was actively trying to monkey with the narrative, it sounds like. Like he was not helping his companions recover from their wounds or whatever in an effort to to make the monsters that are gonna be coming in the future smaller. And like he didn't have June's instinct of fuck no, don't try to fuck with the narrative. That's just gonna piss off the DM. I think it's because June's party is uh, is aware of the narrative in the DM and all that that level of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't know how it would have worked because that gets too meta, and I'm not the person writing the story. But if if he asked if he asked Amaryllis, "Hey, can I can I chop your legs off because I think it'll make the next <laughs> dragon smaller?" She would say, "I don't think." I mean, there's it's reasonable to wonder if that would work, right? Yeah, because yeah. they're all fully in the loop on it. And I also wonder how many years went by before uh, Uther let his companions get maimed. Like June's been here for four months, maybe after four years, he'd be like, okay, I am okay with uh, someone getting blinded a little bit, you know? <laughs> just, just a little bit blinded. Yeah, Vervain got better. That's right. I, I think he couldn't see regular, but he could see some, like Merlin. Oh, yeah, or or Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. Who Who basically got supervision. That's right. It comes out that really what they believe is that there was some power around Uther that reshaped the entirety of existence around him to be consistent with a story being told that allowed for Uther to personally be the chosen one. They didn't say if they think he knew he had that power or was in control of it or whatever. I assume they didn't think that, but he he has a reshape all of existence power, very much like as you pointed out earlier, June kind of has a reshape all of existence power that suddenly 500 years in the past, Uther's daughter looks exactly like Amaryllis. And how the hell is that possible unless the DM went back in time and reshaped existence retroactively? Uh, and uh, that's that's reshape all of existence power is one that they don't want anyone to have because it's a very big and scary power. And I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely a scary power for people to have. Um, that said... Arthur and June don't have that power, right? The yeah. storyteller does. And but it's around them. And so when they're gone, the power will be gone. Yeah. It, it, and since it centers around them, it seems like it's kind of their thing, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it'd be one thing if Uther was in charge of it. But again, I think it's, we met the DM and this group didn't. So like, it's unclear with this revelation what they think they can now try and do with this updated information but like the dm's psychology if even if he's an asshole seems super like encapsulatable in our brains right 
Mm-hmm. It's not like talking to the six-eyed doe. Yeah. And so like we can we can actually make stabs at guessing what we think the the DM would do. Um whereas they don't really have those tools. So I don't well, they know. Kinda, they they kind of do. They can see the power exists and kind of want to cut it out and they even hint at the fact that they think Uther probably thought this and figured it out too and that's why he disappeared because he didn't want to inflict this on Arab anymore. And June like counters like he wouldn't commit suicide. And Okal, the rock person, says he might have if he thought that's what was best for Arab. And like, I mean, there's there's risking your life to save people or, or to save the world. But like, then there's realizing that the world is a lot worse off with you in it. Do you do you think June should commit suicide? Because maybe no, that's quitter talk. Um, <laughs> like, keep in mind, you know. There's there would still be the, the concern in the back of my brain, which you know was more or less off until Uther said that he didn't feel like these people were real, and I mm. kind of trust his judgment at least enough to now put that back on my radar. You know, like I'm not going to go start westworlding my way through this this plane, but um, it's now reasonable to wonder, you know, if I die here, am I actually helping anybody? Um, but as Emerald has pointed out, like the DM told June, hey, if you win, you can take the dungeon master's place. Yeah. So like it, if you give up, then the world just stays as it is, which is kind of shitty at, well, kind of, and super shitty. Um, but if you get to take over and rule the world as a all powerful deity, then, uh, you have the opportunity to fuck it up in all the unique ways you can when you're trying to fix things. I mean, honestly, for me, the, the big sticking point is the hells. Cause maybe if I saw, you know, with a chosen one being around, this is what happens to the world probably a good idea to kill myself i might be convinced of that but uh but the hells are just gonna be around forever like no one can do anything about them except maybe maybe june and it's really hard to argue against like there being some chance to end infinite negative utility and i feel i almost feel like that's cheating like i i almost feel like the DM put the hells in there specifically so June wouldn't commit suicide, that he had a good reason to keep fighting, even though <laughs> the world is made worse off by June being in it. That's pretty funny. I mean, it it could be. I, I still I'm getting this growing suspicion that the hells are just full of pea zombies and actual devils and demons. Yeah. Like Val apparently can't eat the souls of the humans there. And oh, that's a good point. What's his name? Follader talked about how souls can't cross the plane and bone magic still works. You can, I, I mean, there's some weirdness about the souls and we even wondered about how that could work. Like, how do they go to the, how do they go to the hells and how do they not, you know, mm-hmm. like does a copy go there? But then why doesn't that copy if Val has the soul eater perk, why can't she eat those? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if it is just there as like purely a game element and no one actually ends up there, um, then the idea of like, oh yeah, June, I put those there so you wouldn't kill yourself. That actually is a compelling reason because I'd asked when I thought about this before, I'm like, well, then what's the point of them even existing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it it's not teaching anyone a lesson because there's no heaven, right? So, uh, but if it is just there for June as motivation uh, and pres- presumably for Arthur too, um, then yeah. And, you know, maybe Arthur, no, because wait, Arthur wrapped up all of his adventures as best he could before he left. I was going to say maybe the DM kind of just like i don't know shelved that character for a while but it seems like arthur made that choice right yeah okay i'm getting 
a little z- like I'm zoomed out too far, I think. Um, <laughs> but I hope that was somewhat coherent. Yeah, it was. Uh, the, the last thing I got from here is that uh, June says there was a very small part of me that was concerned that Amaryllis could be convinced that Arab would be better off with me dead uh, through some sort of narrative or meta narrative logic. And I, I mean, my only comment was that, like, yeah, of course, she wants what's best for Arab, even if that means killing you. Yeah. I mean, straight up, if you ever have a really, really good reason to think that killing me would cause a benefit cascade on the order of eliminating the hells, then go for it. Yeah, totally. But you better be damn sure. Yeah. And there better be no other way to do it. Right. Uh, And I also want a statue afterwards. Yeah, a big one. Maybe a lot of epics, poetries and songs and stuff like, I, 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 yeah. A very big, well-endowed statue. (laughs) Exactly. Um. I think, I don't know if I put the in the show notes here or just my book notes, but I did have a thought about, you know, June's telling these people like, oh yeah, I kind of made this shit up, like talking about Arab. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe maybe it's in the next chapter, but um, no, it was, it was in this one. Anyway, I just, these people already seem kind of, uh, you know, not disinclined to killing him. Mm-hmm. And remember his reaction upon meeting the DM? Yes like <laughs> trying to kill the dm yeah it or yeah. at the very least taking the frustration out on him like all these people mm-hmm. have had people killed by the terribles terrible things in this world right mm-hmm. and he's just like oh yeah i kind of maybe did some of that like on accident but i made this <laughs> and it's like wait you made felseed felseed destroyed my entire family like right you know time uh, to die motherfucker yeah i think that's almost pretty reasonable and it was a pretty ballsy admission of him to they keep just telling everybody like oh yeah june invented this place so yeah. that actually gives you me know the hells that's June, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that actually gives me some predictive uh, narrative context here. I think that because now they're basically in the loop on this, they're either going to join up with the council of arches or they're all going to die or half and half, right? Some will join some won't um, mm-hmm. or maybe just one person will become the new companion or something. But we can't have people running around knowing that this kid over here helped author the planet. Unless that's the thing that sets this whole story off the rails, which is one way that like the kind of world narrative could, could uh, collapse slash finish. Right. That is a true point. Okay. I mean, but good luck convincing anyone else who's not there to watch him summon hot dogs. Right. I know. And he can only do it 94 more times <laughs> or 96. <laughs> I wonder if he can you wish know, for them all be- at once. It's going to be really awkward when someone's like, oh, yeah, well, summon a hamburger now. Right. <laughs> You'd be like, how about another hot dog? <laughs> you know, when you think about it, a hot dog is really just a hamburger that's long and thin, right? <laughs> All right. All righty. Well, let's go on to the next chapter, one, chapter 115, communicative. He talks where it feels like hours. He's basically telling them everything, but leaving out a couple details here and there. Like, I think he skips the follow to bit. And I think he leaves out the Larkspur stuff and he says something about like how even though it's uh, like self-defense if he squinted. And I'm like, I think it's self-defense with eyes wide open. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if the law would agree because he killed a government official, but it's not like you went chasing this guy down. Yeah, dude was gunning for you. And all you You can do is chop his stupid head off or close enough. Yeah. The only way you could set up an ambush was if he was trying to come after you anyway. Exactly. 
All right, so they do, uh, once he's done talking to them, they ask him, all right, so what do you want to do with this godlike DM-type power uh, if you get it? And June says, we'll eliminate the hells, we'll eliminate suffering, no one will ever, ever feel pain again unless they wish to. No one will feel hunger, nothing will be scarce. You'll be able to be whoever or whatever you want to be without fear. And Solus kind of coughs and says, you came close to repeating the first proclamation of the Second Empire. And I thought... That was really interesting that Wales put that in there. Um, I guess as a reminder not to be seduced by utopic thinking, um, that once once that is your goal, then anything is justifiable. Um, and also probably as a way to like acknowledge to the to the reader, um, yeah, June has all these high ideals, but uh it's those can easily be used to justify anything. So look, you know. I'm not naive. I have seen the skulls. I know this can be a bad thing, but get <laughs> off my back. It's it's still a good end goal regardless. I mean, these sound like my kind of Nazis, you know. Um, <laughs> right. it, there's it's there's no talk of extinguishing anybody or exterminating anybody or whatever, right? Um, I mean, that's only what things that you do when you have to in order to get to the good goal. Mm, yeah, but June won't have to exterminate anybody, presumably presumably yeah he I already mean, sent several hundred tongue to the hells because that was acceptable you know self-defense <laughs> you know um, uh, okay but yeah how many people will he have to self-defend against to on his climb to power um, how much infinite torture is acceptable <laughs> uh i think i think it's a near not because like an admonition just against like utopias as a whole but maybe just emphasizing that utopias are hard. Like it's really easy to fuck up with just one small misstep. And, you know, even this, like no one will ever feel pain, I guess, unless they wish to, that's an important caveat, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, no suffering, no hunger, nothing scarce. Um, You'll be able to do whatever you want or be whoever you want to be without fear. Like all that sounds great. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, it's the details that are the, the sticking point. Right. Um, it's it's tough because uh, there's some way to make this work out. At least I hope so, because that's where I hope humanity is going. Yeah. So. And me too. That's that's kind of the whole rationalist ideal as well. Yeah. Or transhumanist anyway. And I think there's a lot of overlap with rationalism and transhumanism, but totally not a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, all right. Basically, after that, they uh, they say, "All right, look, we need to like kind of catch our bearings and talk. We're gonna get out of here for a little bit and come back." And yeah. I just like oh called. They're trying to escape. <laughs> like it's just like all right, you're gonna like shoot them when they turn to leave. Like mm-hmm. I mean, we've been at this for a long time. Like we could all use a break. And mm-hmm. come on, man. Um, right. You already you already know where we're at. So yeah. it's uh, it was just I I like the line. Like yeah. the, this last six hours of him talking was all a ruse <laughs> to get our guard down. <laughs> and it worked. They did leave. That's right. They- they go back to Bethel. Ropey has a talk with uh with Bethel, and uh, June starts to have uh, some suspicions. He says that Ropey communicating to Bethel in private was a little bit worrying, especially without knowing how Ropey was going to cast things. Um, which, I mean, wow! Like as soon as Ropey becomes being his own person, June starts having second thoughts. But also, should we be having second thoughts about Ropey? Is this worrisome? 
I mean, he's having second thoughts, not because Roby became his own person, but because he realized Roby was more kind of person-y than he thought. In which case, like, it just makes sense to be like, okay, I thought that you were kind of just like a a rope that could follow orders. Now I see that, like, you do stuff, and uh, now I need to, like, actually wonder what it is you want, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not it's not just that he's like, oh, you, you know, second-guessing because he's got his own will, but he's, yeah, that's, that's what you do. But... Yeah. Um, I think he's being corrupted by Bethel. Roby is pure of heart and she's ah, manipulating yes. him. And so he's going to go like the emperor. Yeah. He's going to go and like, you know, recount what happened and tell Bethel all the stuff that he heard about Uther too. And mm-hmm. she's going to be turning Roby against everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think Bethel's actually evil because I'd be a really stupid companion. Um, <laughs> like it's not impossible, but yeah. it would just be weird, especially when again, they've got the void uh mass arrow bomb right like they can kill bethel yeah like it would be hard and annoying but it wouldn't be that bad um right in fact if they can convince her to go into you know walk around like a staff they can kill her with a single boy bomb so like again no one here is that indestructible so if she does turn out to be evil they can kill her i guess but i don't think she is but she's still a bad influence yeah should not be yeah he needs wholesome television and you know (laughs) young young adult fiction that's all yes but not the bad kind of young adult fiction yeah good stuff uh valencia points (laughs) out that uh uh juniper she says everyone at that table besides fen would have killed you to save erb and that includes you uh i'm not sure how i feel about the whole besides fen thing though because i think I, i i i mean She's she can see with the devil sight, so I believe her. But man, I think Fen should be willing to kill June too to save the entire world. And it's a little worrisome that Fen wouldn't. I wonder if it's because uh, would have killed you to save Arab. That I mean, I think that if it came I down mean, between everybody and June, Fen would choose everybody, right? I think what it was was that Fen wasn't inclined, like even on the on the same page, the people talking about killing him on in that meeting because she's not paying attention to any of this narrative stuff. Right. So that's a good point. She doesn't even believe that any of that shit's legit. Yeah. She's noping out of that part of the context. So to her, she's just like, what you think that like things will be different if we kill him? Yeah. He'll be dead. That's all. You guys are a bunch of idiots. Like to her, I think it's that easy. Yeah. Uh, we do also learn that Val faked being traumatized when she, you know, went off the rails and just started murdering all those demons and devils down there. Uh, which was really fucking cool. Oh, no, we actually skipped past it. I meant to mention it. So she does that demonstration on Hell 321. And then I think well, it was he- Heschnell like doesn't believe her. And he's like, hold on, let me let me pick a place instead. So he picks like this arena and she goes rampaging through there and kills like hundreds of demons. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I don't remember if we, if we said that when we were talking in the first chapter or not. Um, no, no, we skipped it because we assumed people had read the chapter. Yeah, I suppose, but it was just it was epic. Like the the, it was the, really the imagery cool. is too, like it was it was like a like a stadium and you could see yeah. you know their their monsters, their hell spawn and just the look of horror on their face as they're all scrambling for the exits wondering how they're dying. And yeah. while this is happening, Valencia is hyperventilating and uh she had me going too. This yeah, after she's like I, twisty I can't son use of a my bitch. powers right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, she yeah she has this thing. I knew that I was going to be removed from the conversation, so I chose the path that would still allow me to like observe it. 
and uh, by everyone thinking that she was, you know, so traumatized and couldn't do anything now. She does say that Okald is the most dangerous one and not going to listen to reason and that his viewpoint could poison everyone else against them. So she engendered sympathy by, you know, making herself look to be so vulnerable and traumatized. And then they kind of dismissed him as being a jerk for because of that. And that helped drive a wedge between them all. And uh, it's part of why she wanted to be revealed in the first place. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Val is fucking amazing and fantastic, and I love the social manipulation shit. And I, like, I almost worry if it's sort of a Sherlock effect where you, you, since I'm I'm dumb about this stuff, like it looks amazing and epic to me, and I just can't get enough of it. And maybe you know some people who are more versed in it are like, oh man, that's so dumb that could never happen. But I don't see the holes, and it is really enjoyable to me. Just like people back in the Sherlock days ate up the Sherlock stuff. Yeah. Um, two things. One, sorry for that background noise that's been going on for like the last minute. I There's like some fighter jets. I think we're at war or something. Um, Ooh. But I mean, it's fucking Canadians are finally attacking. Really like loud, low flying planes. Um, I mean, I, I dig the whole, you know, Sherlockian thing. And the thing is we can, we can grant all the leeway we want. Like no one's allowed to say that's ridiculous. That could never happen. She's got devil magic. Like Harry criticizes Quirrell's deductive reasoning or something. That's supposed to be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. This I, I like this a lot because yeah, she she can make however many jumps of logic she wants because it's magic. Who cares? But also that that acting, she had me going. I was worried about her, and honestly, the fact that she was manipulating me makes me uh kind of mad. Just she shows <laughs> me and everybody else here an apology. That jerk. I mean, she apparently uh, she should apologize to the group. I mean, did she? I don't think, I she, think did. she does. Does she not? I can't remember. I maybe I didn't pull that out. I oh, know that's did. right. She gives them a look of pity, like I can't believe you were fooled by me. Yeah, it was. It was silly. Mm. She should have been like, "Yeah, sorry about the deception, but it was necessary for this, right?" Um, I realize I, I literally have the powers of all of hell's deception behind me, so of course you were fooled. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Oh. Okay. Yeah. We, so, go ahead. We find out that uh, she could tell that their plan, plan B, involved taking June to the blue fields. So uh, in case they weren't able to cut his stupid head off, they would nuke his stupid body to oblivion. I just thought, I thought that was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious. This isn't the first like jump in reasoning that she has, uh, or rather it might be the first in this chapter in this reading, but she gets another one next chapter where it's like just straight up mind reading. And I don't know how she deduced blue fields from like, we have a plan to kill you. Um, that is a, like, there's no amount of uh, reading between the lines that would get you there, right? Oh, unless the whatever person who communicates through sign language said something about it. Yeah, it gave something away. Okay, yeah, so that that's possible. But I just like how it's as overboard as like Voldemort's plan to kill Harry yeah like all right we're not going to just you know hit him with an avada kedavra everyone's going to do that then we're going to shoot him with this gun then we're going to smash his brains in and then we're going to exercise the area and like it's all this stuff and what's hilarious is like they should just cut his head off and then take his body to the blue fields right mm-hmm. but no they're it doesn't sound like they wanted to have any risks like what, yeah. what could what could uther never have survived well he would have found some stupid way to survive getting his head cut off let's watch him take a nuke to the face mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, over the top is uh, awesome for that exact reason. That's what you got to do when Luther's coming around. That's right. Uh, Amaril has pointed out that they didn't actually do that. Having a plan is not the same thing as enacting a plan. And Fenn chimes in with, yeah, Batman had a plan to kill all the members of the Justice League. 
And June replies, Batman doesn't kill. And Fen rolls her eyes. And I loved all that interaction. And also, I would have rolled my eyes, too. Like, fuck all the way off, June. You you do not know as much about Batman as Fen does, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I think that... So, I... Yeah, Amaryllis is right. Fen is 100% right. It's a perfect example. It's mm-hmm. It's perfect because... I mean, granted, these guys aren't Batman, but June would get the Batman reference. You know, it's yeah. it's nerdy and being super prepared was this whole thing. Um, yeah. I think that this was just an example. Like, I think uh, Whale's wanting to, like, show the June being dismissive of Fen. Um, I think this is, like, one of the more heavy-handed examples of that, hmm. which is fine. Uh, I think this might have been my first, to be fair, in the notes. But he had an, he had, he had an enormously stressful day. So, you know, if he's, if he's not patient with like, you know, cause he's the justice league in this situation. Right. Right. I don't, I don't want like some defense of how reasonable it is for them to have a plan to kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the one they're talking about killing and nuking, not you guys. Mm-hmm. So I get where I kind of get his, his, uh, combativeness on this point. They probably would have gotten caught in the blast radius though. Yeah. But only, you know, they only want to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if they're going to get them all onto the blue fields, and then yeah, they would have done that. I figured that the plan would have been somehow to stun him or something, and then take him there. I, I mean, I thought their original plan was to uh, plan A was to come back to this point and talk. Plan B was to take the ship straight to blue fields and try to kill him. And if that doesn't work, nuke the ship. Yeah, I guess killing everyone else on board too, right? Right. Sometimes that's the price you got to pay to save the entire world. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder. We don't know where their base is in relation to Bluefields. Maybe it's like right next door. Yeah, that's a good point. Huh. Yeah, no idea where they are. All right. Well, uh, anyways, uh, they the, the party notices that Fen and June are fighting a lot. And they say, yeah, look, maybe you guys should like work this out or something. And uh, Valencia says something along the lines of like, we, we don't have time right now to work this out. There's They got a lot of shit going on. And we got these negotiations happening. They forget and that time little- chambers are a thing. Yeah, right. And then a little bit later, Fen says, you stomped your foot down and said that you were going to kill yourself if we didn't help in relation to what went back down when he went into solo mode. And June says, I didn't actually need your help as it turned out. And then Valencia turns around and says, it's time for therapy. So like in the space of a couple minutes, she went from we don't really need therapy right now for the group to remain effective to it's time for therapy. And it was this last bit that changed her mind, which I found I found interesting in part because it was like Fen is talking about him acting like a child and saying, I'm going to kill myself. And then him saying, I don't need you. And together, like the suicide and I don't need you thing probably set something off. I don't know. Maybe like, or it's just like, okay, you guys won't stop arguing. Right. I mean, eh, it probably was more than just that. I think, I think, you know, on my reread of that chapter, as I was putting my notes together, uh, which like, I guess a reskim, um, I I have a sneaking suspicion that Val pushed the conversation the way she did on purpose. Oh. Uh, and so maybe she saw this as like a good time to like, okay, now is like the most opportune moment to strike if I'm going to get these two to break up. Um, oh. Assuming that loyalty is like a real thing and that none of his companions are actually evil, she's probably doing it with all good purposes in mind. Um, it's just uh, like, I don't know. Um, it seems sus. But yeah. we'll we'll analyze it as we get through there. This is a pretty short chapter. Um, but yeah, next thing up, there uh, it's a great lead into the chapter called therapy. I never yes. particularly liked therapy. <laughs> yes, I too have found it 
I've found it less useful as I've gotten older. And I don't know if that's just bad luck with therapists or something, but like, it's hard to even imagine how it'd be useful in practice anymore. And I don't know, maybe it's because I've lost the faith in the illusion that adults know things. I'm just like, I'm looking at someone across from me that my same age and I'm like, you, you're pretending just as much as I am here, sir. For what it's worth, I know somebody a few years older than you who's had more therapy than you have, who still finds value in it. And for him, it was about shopping around for the right therapist. I think that some adults do know stuff about stuff. I would bring in an electrician to help me rewire my kitchen before I would do it. Like the no adults know what they're doing excuse would just get me killed. I, I guess by knowing stuff, I mean about the purpose of existence, because that's what really gets me down. And I don't think there's any adults that have figured that shit out well enough to be like, oh, yeah, you know, here's why they're suffering. And here's why what you do actually has meaning. I'm like, really? You, you, you think so? I and I haven't been to all that much therapy, but in my experience, it's less about them, like teaching me their grand wisdom and more just about them being, you know, in some cases, really bad sounding boards or in the best cases, like excellent sounding boards and thought pumps to get me to thoughts that I'm capable of already having kind of, right? I don't know. I I guess I want to encourage therapy. And I think that if you're struggling with a particular thing and, and the therapists you've talked to are struggling to like resolve it for you, maybe you need to find a different therapist who's like not going to try and engage it on that level, right? I guess. I think to be a good sounding board, a therapist would have to like get past all the masks. And I don't even know if I can get past all my masks at this point. So... Uh, I, I don't believe they'll have any luck with that. I see. Like, I just, I feel like I'm kind of manipulating them whenever I go in. Oh, see, and it was, it's, I got bored of that. I, I understand. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, and fact that actually this is a digression worth having, cause this leads us great into the, the, the whole point of this chapter coming up. But like the therapist I'm currently seeing when I messaged and it's like, what are your goals for therapy is like one of the things in the intake form. Mm-hmm. I listed out like, here's what's going on. And we can establish a rapport and whatever, like a, you know, a patient therapist relationship down the road. Let's just, I want to immediately start looking straight at the hard stuff. Like, let's not, uh, let's not goof around. And she thought that was an awesome opportunity and she was excited about it. And, you know, first time I met this person, I'm sharing all of my scary thoughts, right? Like, Mm. and so I guess I'm not sure if it's, I guess I'm not sure if I can see all my masks or not, but like, I'm I currently don't have trouble just like dropping all of them if I feel like it'll help. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't know. It's interesting. You and I will have to have a long conversation about this because I'm curious to learn more, but this isn't the time for it. So, okay. Remind me next time we are in the same room. You got it. Cool. All right. Let's get into therapy. Chapter oh 116, where we start with a flashback of them eating candy on the train, them being June and Fen, because this is all about them, this chapter. And, and it was uh, adorable. It was. It was really good. Uh, the, the, I mean, I, the line I actually pulled out, but I meant to like just, if I could have, I would just pull out the entire fucking section, right? But I pulled out the thing about the the wax uh, wrapper of this that has the chocolate on it. The real question is why this travesty has been allowed to continue for something like 80 years. Probably would cost an extra few fractions of a cent to change to a different wax paper that didn't stick so much. And I mean, that was the, that was the kind of like, line that that reminded me of it but the entire scene i thought was like a really good tarantino scene the 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 ones that he has in his movies where there's just like people talking to each other and would you give a man a foot massage candy. yeah <laughs> right 
And I I never understood why the hell those scenes work so well, the ones that do. Some of them don't work at all. I never got the like Le Big Mac quarter or Le Quarter Pounder with cheese or whatever it was. Le Royale, Royale with, with cheese. cheese. That's yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I never, I didn't understand why people thought that was such a good scene. I was like, this they're just talking about restaurants in a foreign country. But like other scenes in that movie were great and and in particularly the scene about tipping uh in Reservoir Dogs, I thought was like he sometimes has these things that are just people bullshitting and it somehow strikes this emotional chord and i swear to god if i could figure out why why those work like that and do it so well then i think it would make me a much better writer but i still can't figure it out well you're much closer than i am but that's probably not close enough because you're actually trying to write stuff but i didn't even pull that out remotely whatsoever as as tarantino-esque until you until you said that and Mm. you're absolutely right this is exactly the kind of stuff that they're talking about some inane thing, but it's like, it's good context. It's good character moments. Um, yeah. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Reese's, Reese's cups. Yeah. Like it's, uh, I, I think it's awesome and, and great, like way to notice that. Um, mm-hmm. I think just, uh, tangentially the, the Royale with cheese. I think the reason it worked for me was because they're here and they're clearly like, and at the moment, you know, they don't know, or rather the people in uh, the guy's apartment don't know that, like, they're probably all going to die here in a second. But, like, the gangsters do. And they're shooting the shit about, you know, what? hey, this guy got back from France. What's it called over there? And, like, they're they're just, this is just Tuesday morning to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so that I, I think that's that's why the scene lands for me anyway. Like, this isn't, even, this isn't a serious thing for them whatsoever. They're having small talk about this guy's trip to Europe while, while they're over here killing these guys. Anyway. All right. So therapy time. Uh, yes. my, my thing going into this was they were told, okay, you two need to have therapy right now. And me, basically, literally Satan will be your therapist. <laughs> and it like both of those don't sound like good ingredients for successful therapy to me. Right. I don't uh, think, I don't think court mandated therapy is oh. like as effective as voluntary therapy. Yeah, it, it probably yeah. does help some people. I think those people who work with uh, that population are probably skilled at doing it. But like, okay. it only really helps, I think, if you want it to help. Um, yeah. And if I knew my therapist is going to try to manipulate me because they're they're basically the spawn of Satan. Um, <laughs> like, well, she's not the spawn of Satan. She has the skills that the spawn of Satan has. Okay, if she's if she's, uh, I mean. She's not quite a devil incarnate, but she is, um, she still wants good things for them. Maybe that would be. So by the time we get to the end of this chapter, I am agreeing with you, but at the beginning of the chapter, I was still thinking, even though she has devil skills, she still wants what's best for them. Yeah. But I think that if I knew that I was talking to somebody with super manipulation powers, like I would have been way more like suspect of everything being said to me. The fact that everything that she said landed so like cuttingly and incisively could be because she's a really great observing observant therapist, but it's also exactly what like the kind of insight that a double would give. Right. Which, I mean, that's the point, but it's, it, it was there to sow discord and make, make people sad. Uh, yeah. So it's weird. I, uh, I don't know. Well, I went in trusting her because I think Val is great and i regretted that later i went in trusting val uh it's that i didn't think that the therapist therapy would be successful okay um coming out of it like i said on on the time on the note skimming i 
I don't know. I'm on the fence about whether or not she did this on purpose. Okay. All right. Well, when we go in, she says, first, I won't say anything to either of you that I know to be false. Which, first of all, I guess that's better than nothing. But if you start off saying that, it sounds very much like I'm setting up a way in the future where I can say, aha, I let you believe a false thing, but I didn't say anything I knew to be false. Kind of gotcha. Like, that, yeah. what the fuck? I mean, yes, it's nice that you're saying you're not going to lie to me. And yet, the fact that you feel the need to clarify that makes you wonder, uh, like, are you just saying that to get ahead of me wondering if you're lying to me? Because now she could just totally lie. There's nothing binding her to this, to what she just said. That's um, true, too. It's, I mean, she doesn't really volunteer anything that neither of them disagree with. So I don't think that she's lying about stuff. But it, yeah, I'm still with you. It, it sounds like the kind of thing that like Draco Malfoy would put into like one of his promises, right? No, it sounds like the kind of thing Harry Potter would put into one of his promises. Yeah, because he basically exactly did. But, yeah. you know, he was channeling his inner Draco when he did it. So Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, and then, you know, Fenn jumps in or comes into the conversation saying, I'm agreeing to this mostly to hear you get told off by our darling little devil girl. And I had said, I've never been to couples counseling, but I'll bet you a hundred bucks that this isn't the correct attitude to go in with. <laughs> Probably not going to get great results. No. You, speaking of results, June is like, you're going to use social foo in order to weld us together? And Valencia is like, ah, you feel uncomfortable with that. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I'm like, really, Val? Why would someone be uncomfortable getting shotgun married by a devil? You really <laughs> gotta ask. I like, I, I just liked because it, it was like the most Freudian cliched thing ever. Ah, you feel uncomfortable. Leans back in a recliner, takes a drag on her pipe, taps her pen to her notepad. Why do you think that is? <laughs> yeah right oh and and how does that make you feel june yeah mm -hmm. tell me about your mother <laughs> right <laughs> uh, instead of asking about his mother he asks she asks what do you imagine the end state of your relationship is which is just I, is she trying to break them up i, I is he supposed to say like seven kids in a house in the suburbs please like what the fuck val yeah i'm glad you pulled that out because i you know didn't register that i don't think i took it in my notes so i didn't see it like on my more um uh cynical read through of this chapter but uh i that th that question is a trap you know yeah. there, there's no good answer because mm -hmm. we're, we're they've been dating for you know three or four months right like yeah. it neither of them can give an answer that would be all encompassingly correct um, and that the other person wouldn't wouldn't be at least a little put out by exactly uh so it's and even even to you know, people on earth who are otherwise in like basically a healthy circumstance. Like if you, if you start a new relationship and start talking about the end zone immediately, mm -hmm. I think, I think it, it puts a weird funk on things, right? Totally. So yeah. either she's not half the therapist she thinks she is, or she's twice the therapist we think she is. <laughs> I mean, we're not therapists, so maybe we're getting this all wrong, but holy shit. Yeah. She's uh, either, June... she either really sucks or she's really, really good at this right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we can't tell from our position which one it is right uh june mentions his time in the time chamber with amaryllis and fen says you do not get points for not cheating on me but i kind of think he he totally should get points for that like he was stuck in a time chamber for two months with the most beautiful person in the world like he, he should get some points for that he showed self-restraint yeah I mean, just for the fun of, like, since we haven't, I think, disagreed on much this entire episode, 
I'll push back on that just for fun. Like, mm. I think it's part of the implicit relationship contract of a monogamous relationship that you don't uh, cheat on people, right? Cheating is a concept that's only there in monogamous relationships. Right. And so, like, I I don't think you get points for doing like what's expected. Um, I don't know. Like, mm. you're, if you and your partner like have shared finances, your partner doesn't get points for not being insanely irresponsible with your combined savings. Like, y- you know, if if like you came home and you're like, "Hey, look, hon, I didn't take our combined retirement and put it all on double zero at at uh, you know, on the uh, roulette wheel." Like, she shouldn't be like, "Oh my god, I'm so proud of you." You know, like that's just that's just being a grown up and being polite. I'm not sure I, if that analogy works. So I'm just trying to start a fight. So, like, I d- I don't think the analogy really works. It'd be more like, "Hey, look, hon, I didn't invest our money in Bitcoin when it was a thousand dollars a coin." Like, even that doesn't work very well. Like, they're they're like, yeah, it's part of the implicit contract that you don't do that. But yet, when someone is offered a very tempting counter offer that is legit hard to to um to not take, they get some points for it. Like, if you're on a strict diet trying to lose a lot of weight and you have to walk through this fucking banquet hall where there's steaming mashed potatoes and gravy and KFC and donuts and whatever whatever the food you really love is just like there begging to be eaten you do get some points for walking past it because that shit's hard even though part of the implicit contract is that you're not gonna and that you may i don't know maybe like you have health problems and you're gonna die if you keep eating the stuff and so you promised your wife you're not gonna eat the shit anymore but you still get some points for that yeah that is a really good analogy and there you're kind of making that promise to yourself like on the diet one but you know as somebody who recently failed at quitting nicotine again i'll quit again don't (laughs) worry um but you know it's uh, you know, it's, it's a situation for it lately, but the, um, uh, it's, it's perfect cause it probably has negative health impacts and, uh, I shouldn't be doing it. And yet here I am. And so if I did successfully quit, you know, um, uh, people that had a vested interest in my health could give me a high five and be like, Hey, I'm glad you did that. Right. And yeah. they could be understandably disappointed if they, you know, learned that I was whatever, um, I mean, you know, nicotine and it's, it's vaping. It's not all that bad for you, but it's not good for you. Don't get me wrong. So, um, and I don't want to be like, I don't think you should get like tons of points for it and like being parading around how great of a guy he is or whatever, but it's still a little something to take into consideration that like, Oh yeah, he he managed to avoid that thing that one time. Yeah. I mean, I think the diet thing is actually a better example, like, because you were hardwired to really enjoy, you know, unhealthy things. And if you're, it's not even just a matter of like walking. Well, this actually is being trapped in a room with a donut for a month, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, the longer you're in there, the more that donut's looking insanely tempting. And if you went the whole month without touching it, you know, kind of high five. Um, right. I see where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I get where Fen's coming from because, you know, you don't get points for like doing the right thing, but it is the right, right. thing. And it, and it it wasn't necessarily hard, but it could have been, uh, yeah, I don't know. All right. I didn't kick off as much. Of, that fight wasn't as much fun as I was hoping it would be. So um, We will find something else to fight about, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's just you you kind of just soundly defeated me too quickly. So I'll have to find Take. something where I'm, I'm on higher ground. <laughs> All righty. Well, how about this one? Um, the, uh, she talks about how she was watching lots of anime and trying to absorb Earth culture and movies and books and all that. And she says, do you understand that most of the efforts to assimilate Earth culture have been in service of forming a deeper bond with you? And June says, I'm not sure that counts as work. 
And I thought that was fucking cold. I was like, this is a person who is immigrating to, well, not even they're immigrating to your country. You immigrated to their country, and they're spending all this time trying to watch your home country's arts to get a feeling for you. And you're like, oh, that, that doesn't count as work. And that was just fucking, that was cold, man. Well, first off, it was Val who said that. Uh, do you understand the efforts of, or her efforts to assimilate earth culture? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Again, everything that kicks off any sort of discrepancy seems to come straight from like something that Val said. But um, this is a legit disagreement, actually. Like, I mean, she was binging anime while trapped in a small room for several weeks. You know, mm-hmm. it, if she had anything better to do, then it would have counted as work. But she was killing time because she was trapped in a in a small room. You know, um, I think there was lots of other things she could have done. It's not like that was her only option. And I don't think that she like sat there studiously trying to take stuff in as demonstrated by June's thing of like, you didn't even watch the stuff Arthur and I watched. She sat there and binged anime that neither of us have seen, but mm-hmm. she does give a cool explanation for why she's interested in anime. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I to counter my own argument there, I guess she was reading Harry Potter outside of the time chamber. Yeah. So and even while not kind watching. of like being forced to watch TV for her own sanity, she is still trying to assimilate earth culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there were lots of other things she could have done potentially in the room too, but also, I mean, I don't There's know. not that, that would, much. Like, what if someone came up to us and says, look, you, know, you guys have fun with your podcast. I'm not really sure that counts as work. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. I do enjoy this podcast, but also this is, this is kind of work. It's sort of a pain in the ass. This is work. Fen isn't putting this much work into watching anime. I didn't get that impression. She- I got the impression she was, you know, kicking back in a beanbag chair uh watching tv like oh come on we get this whole thing about how she's trying to compare japanese culture to to elven culture or places where it might be elven culture might be a deliberate uh like mirror inversion of japanese culture due to june's you know wanting to fuck with stuff like she's putting thought into this stuff as she's watching it mm, i suppose in, in in june's defense she didn't come out of the the time chamber said that she came out and said i'm a weeb now um, so <laughs> like true. He, he had no idea that she was actually doing anything with context in there right yeah but when it's pointed out to him now he he was just kind of mean about it well he does she points out the the japanese culture relation afterwards after his like that doesn't count as work but um you know amaryllis is putting in work she's reading history books you know that's boring yeah, you know, watching watching cartoon robots punch each other—that's fun, dude. I, it's Amaryllis. She may think reading history books is more fun than watching cartoon robots punch each other. I don't know. Like, I think I, she, <laughs> she has her fifteen minutes of scheduled fun every day, and that's all she allows herself. <laughs> there, there is there is a lot of like blog stuff out there, politics stuff, econ stuff, which I have legit fun reading. And if I was forced to watch like some bad TV show, I I would I would legit find that less enjoying and more work-like than reading some of these blogs that i read yeah i mean she could have watched good tv if she wanted but we're getting too into the weeds on it i am (laughs) curious about this she said uh wabi sabi and go ahead you pulled out the quote uh because you said you remembered it and i didn't i said wabi sabi and you apparently didn't have any idea what that meant instead of asking me so i could tell you which is what you would have done with mary which is true you brushed me off and wanted to talk about something else instead and yeah, I pulled that out because I think I remember that. Um, there's there's a number of places th- here where June doesn't get Earth references. And like when I do get them and he doesn't, I just thought that was kind of funny and cool. Uh, but I guess it kind of served a dual purpose too, to like, you know, also show 
showed the split happening, but then you had a different comment. Yeah, oh, I did a search of the text for Wabi Sabi, and it never came up before. I could have sworn I saw that. It's possible like that. that my e-reader, like on my phone, didn't load it fast enough. I didn't give it enough time, but I'm pretty sure she never mentioned this on screen. So if that's the case, we get to skip the part where we have to pick a side on that one. <laughs> Maybe I'm just remembering the term Wabi Sabi from my first read-through? Oh, you're right. It was in this chapter. Hmm. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I remember this wrong. Well, at the very least, uh, we get to sit this this part of the fight out. So, um, Oh, wow. All right. Uh, Finn also then says, probably she's going to say, uh, she being Valencia, probably she's going to say you're bad at seeing things from someone else's point of view. Valencia says, I would say that you're good at disassembling a variety of viewpoints and reconstructing a version of them, which maps cleanly to your view of the world and how things work within it. And Fenn says, that's the same as what I said, <laughs> that he's bad at seeing things from someone else's point of view. And first of all, big heart Fenn moment for me that when she points out that's literally just what I said. But two, is that literally just what Fenn said? Because I think maybe. <laughs> um, I, I like it too. And June gets a moment like that, that I'll give him a high five for exactly the same reason. But um, I mean, yeah. Yes, but it's like operationalizing what it means to see to be bad at seeing things from someone else's point of view, right? So, like, if I say that, you're like, okay, so I know what you mean, but you're not articulating it. Like, Val isn't using the word bad, uh, or even you know what she says viewpoints, but like she she does a good job at like tabooing bad in there and and explaining what that meant, right? Like, Mm, yeah, you 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 take their viewpoint and reconstruct it into. Uh, version that you can work with and like you're right you're right it gives him something that he can actually work on instead of just like don't be so bad you know it's like what the fuck am i supposed to do with that whereas this is something actionable yeah and what's interesting though is that like literally everybody does this all the time mm-hmm. and so does what disassembles a variety of viewpoints and reconstructs them into a version that maps cleanly to our view of the world and how things work within it like okay. you know um me and some other person both hear a story of somebody who uh, saw a ghost, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will interpret it one way, and they will, and the person who believes in ghosts will interpret it in another. Um, yeah. And we'll both think that we understand where the other one's coming from, right? And of course, right. me, because I believe I'm right, believe that just they're straight wrong. But, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that with a, with a grin and a wink because they'll feel exactly the same way, right? Right. But also, you're right, so... Yeah. That helps. So it helps there for <laughs> sure. But in case yeah. I might be wrong, I might I might feel the same way. Right. Yeah. But um, right. Val says, we should focus on the root of root issues. Fen, do you think you understand the reasons that Juniper might be might sometimes act dismissive towards you? And <laughs> Fen says, because he's so up his own ass that he can't. And Val says, now, if you want this process to work, you're going to have to show some charity. Don't insult him. Mm. And to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. Neither of them volunteered for therapy. So I think that this is just like the the first call out where it's like, yeah, look, this is like court mandated therapy. If they're not going into it with the right attitude, it's like, well, we didn't ask to be here, right? Yeah, yeah. If you wanted me to be in the right charitable mood, you should have let me volunteer for this. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, no one held a gun to their head, but it was still. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I like this. Uh, I forget. Maybe it was like Earth references or something. But June says, um, you said you found it endearing. And then what he doesn't say, but I thought that he said out loud in my note here was, 
I'd have stopped if I thought that she wanted me to, or if she had said something like a grown adult should have. Ah, and that's the like resentment that's been lurking under the hood, right? This is the first yeah. time that he's called her basically childish, even if he didn't say it out loud. Right. Um, yeah. It was the oh about him monologuing about games and stuff. Yeah, if and you just we're communicating like a grown ass adult. Right. Yeah, and I, in his defense. You know, that's that's fair. You know, hey, you said you liked it. If it if it was annoying you this whole time, you should have fucking said something, right? Mm-hmm. And then she says, well, I do find it endearing. The problem is that it's only a one-way street. At best, you listen to what other people say and break it down into a juniper understanding of things. And he says, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's my high five, like where Fen was like, that's what I said. He's just like, mm-hmm. you know, you listen to people and break it down into, into a juniper understanding of things. He's like, the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> Like, of Am course I, I do. To, right. I, parse it in, I parse it in English and I put it in my head. I can't put yeah. it in, in a Fen understanding of things because I'm not you. Like, right. <laughs> I get kind of what – I get what Fen's trying to say. But, mm-hmm. like, again, we all can't help but do this. And we can we can try to, like, flex our minds a bit to, like, you know, uh, see other people's view of the world or whatever. But – like, of course, I'm going to put it in my own understanding of things because I can't use anyone else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, Juniper is in this unique circumstance, too, because he basically created Arab, right? So if he's trying to figure out how things fit into his understanding, um, well, that that makes sense. Yeah, uh, there's a good reason for that, possibly. Yeah, it, it, his understanding is kind of what made this place. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is where Val points out that, like, this is why you can't bond with the Druid. And I kind of get where that's coming from. You know, it's like, yeah, I can't just open my mind so much that my brain falls out. That's what it takes mm-hmm. to become, to bond with, or not with a druid, with the locus. Yeah, yeah. And then I, this was a maybe rhetorical question, but not really. How many of these therapy sessions do you think Arthur sat through with his companions before he said, you know what? Fuck these NPCs and their stupid little problems. <laughs> oh, geez, man. I I hope he, he didn't ever really come to that because... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the problem with being a god. Eventually, you just get annoyed with all the non-godlings nipping at your toes. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I'm hoping it wasn't like therapy sessions that made Arthur decide to decide these people weren't people. Yeah, um, but, you know, something along the lines of like, you know, whatever, I've had enough of your crap. I'm, I'm just, I'm over it. I've had enough yeah. vibes and being stuck in the tangle of your emotions. And yeah, I'm getting out of the solar system. I mean, that said... Uh, yes, I mean, if you're if you have an opportunity to escape the solar system, you know, and, and just bail on everybody because they're annoyed of them, that's one thing. But he also concluded that they weren't sentient, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So that that's a separate thing. Like, for a while, you entertain their little problems because they're fun. Um, but then you're like, oh, my God, you guys always have something. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Every other day with you guys, it's food, 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 you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Can't go one damn day without sleeping and eating. Right. And I think, then uh, with the crapping, Jesus. <laughs> it's it's all fun for a while but if you don't think that they're people and they don't matter then it i think quickly quickly becomes old so mm-hmm. yeah so, well taking a slight tangent away from the couples therapy uh june has this to say about the second empire they ignored the world as it was and mapped their version of reality in places where the territory wasn't conducive to that mapping and yeah you're right this was when they were talking about the the locus um i, I pulled that up because that's that's rat talk right there uh, that that is, you know, the map isn't the territory. We're all familiar with that at this point, um, but it's not expanded on at all. And I'm wondering, I don't know, 
maybe Alexander should have like explained this a bit because it's it's just kind of in there. And like as it stands now, I don't think it the people who don't already know won't get anything out of it. Um and it, it won't really help enlighten them, I don't think. It doesn't even really give them much of anything to Google if they wanted to, which I don't think they would. There's like there's no hooks here pulling people towards Bayesian rationalism. And I mean, I understand that probably wasn't a goal of his at all uh, when writing this. He just wanted to write a good piece of fiction that was rational in its construction. But like, if that's his only goal, like why, why drop this in here? There's, there's less jargony ways to say this exact thing. And, uh, and those ways would work better who aren't familiar with this. If you are going to use the jargon, I think maybe take some effort, spend a few lines to, to, explain it a bit and hook people in like yeah, Harry Potter does. The concept could be explained in a couple of lines. Harry would have taken a, like a paragraph or two, which is totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this work is more about like having a rationalist character or mm-hmm. I mean, sort of, he's not quite where I would, you know, put him quite on that radar, but he, he's there. There's everyone's got inklings of that. Right. So yeah, it's, it's about having smart characters, right? Maybe that's, mm-hmm. it's less about proselytizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of like it's been so long. What is what is the non-jargony way to say map and territory? Like the world isn't how like the world isn't the picture of it that we have in our minds. Um, I can't even yeah. think of the non-jargony way to put that. Like they ignored the reality uh, as it was around them and used their theories and ideas instead. And where reality didn't match up with their theories, they kind of ignored reality and went with their theories. Okay, that, yeah, that was that was quick. Yeah. yeah, they they could have done that. So yeah, he did use jargon and didn't elaborate on it. I mean, yeah, and you're right. That isn't like hooking enough to grab somebody to be like, oh, I should Google what's this talk of maps and territories. Mm. Um, huh? Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like you know June read some less wrong posts because Arthur made him and uh, you know incorporated some of that. But that's about like his version of it. He's not pushing it on anybody or yeah, us. I just, but I kind of wish he was. Exactly. I, I either I wish either he was or he had used more plain language. Like I, I'm surprised Valencia and Fenn didn't stop him and were like, "Can you what unpack that a little bit?" They were just like, "Oh yeah, we know totally what you're talking about." Like it 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 doesn't seem like something that would be that common knowledge to everybody, especially you know not a a people in Arab. Maybe maybe a devil who has the knowledge of thousands of years or whatever, but Fenn probably wouldn't know. Yeah, unless like this is just how everyone on air is taught to think about uh, nature and the mind's relationship to it. But that seems unlikely, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And if it was, it'd still be good to like put it in the text because we aren't Airbians, we're Earthians. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I Speaking of place, another place where we can agree, this next yes. line, man, fucking, fucking June. God damn. He, he, he's talking about failings. He says, I have failings, you have failings, even Val has failings. Though none come to mind at the moment. <laughs> like, fuck you, June. Can you not go a few minutes without negging Fen? I there's another moment, uh I feel like Ray said something like this about Val or Amaryllis or something. And it might have been negging Fen. It wasn't quite the same, but for me it's just like, dude, you're just trying to shove your foot as far into your mouth as possible. Yeah. Like I this this doesn't help with the conversation whatsoever. Uh you're not you know you're trying to connect with your girlfriend and nonchalantly point out that the pale bosomy girl in front of you is flawless. Like, <laughs> right. come on, man. 
Um, She's younger than you too, Finn. Did you know that? Yeah. You know, it's, I, and she's full of flaws. Yeah. Val's great. She's, she's got, she's got baggage for days and Mm -hmm. she's got lots of flaws. You know, you never know if you're fucking her or the spawn of Satan. Um, (laughs) You know, if if she's great in bed, it's because she got that knowledge from, you know, demons who spent an eternity raping people. Like, it's, you know, there, there's, it's, and I mean, that's, that's just the soul eating stuff. I mean, the rest of it, she, she didn't have, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and shit on Val. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, but, the thing is I could, and I could do so for 60 seconds without without pausing to think of anything. Like, right. he, he's right. just, like, throwing shade, and it's... it's For no reason. I mean, I guess, you know, Fenn says something about, like, June has his head up so, so far up his own ass. This is, like, kind of maybe his retort. I But, guess. like, it's, it's way less, re- like, sympathetic. Because th- if, this even, one is so much more, like, just... <sighs> I don't know. Going it's, for the jugular. I like even if he literally couldn't see any of Val's flaws at that moment, he didn't have to bring that up. Yeah, I I don't get uh our boy was not thinking here with that line. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but the rest of it, you know, it makes sense cuz he says something about like um you know, your something about your you know, you use jokes to cover up your failings and you push people away to avoid potential problems and she says my failings. And right, like, she was being a bitch. Well, you know, a, a bit. Because like, everyone has failings. Exactly, that's what he says. He's like, no, nah, I mean, I have them, you have them, even Val. Well, not Val, she is perfect. But the rest of us I mortals, know. yeah. Like, he would have been the one coming out on top in that, because he's like, my failings, I have no failings. And he, it was such an easy win for him. And then he throws in, though none that come to mind, and just fucking. Yeah, he, I don't he know, had, what he he had to step really far out of the way to put his foot in his mouth there. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not. Anyway, he did ridiculous. some sportsy thing that would have got him negative points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, then we get to what I think is probably the most um, touching thing about Fen. I, I mean, there's, I, I've known I've loved Fen for many. I mean, since the same first chapter we saw her, but like this brings to light the deeper stuff behind what motivates her, and that I've been gleaming on catching on to i think and uh why i love her she says you want me in one specific way you want me to act uh, you want me as the outwardly happy woman who hides her damage and acts as though she doesn't give a shit about anything and like i i really feel for her here because i don't know i think probably everyone takes on roles so they're liked more um i i know i do and the upside is that people do like you more when you can pull them off. And that's that feels great. Uh, but then the downside is that the role becomes permanent. And I'm not sure that's a big downside because usually the role is like a better version of me. And I want to be that better version. And it's good to be motivated to keep it up and to be pushed to be better. But it's just, it can be really, really tiring always playing a role. And, and it just, it gets to be a lot after a while. And I think... This is why Ben is my favorite. She got to the point where she actually has to spend 24 hours, seven days a week wearing this role. And you can only do it for so long. I feel you. And I, I'm glad that, you know, you didn't let the let the haters, um, you know, totally dissuade you of of Ben because you you can vibe with her on that. Like and I feel you. I mean. And like you said, too, it's not necessarily bad because the role is a better version. Like if I went around pretending to be good at math, 
um, sooner or later, it, like it would take a lot more work to hold that up in the long run than it would just be to become good at math. So yeah. I should just actually like learn the stuff that I'm pretending to be knowledgeable about. Right. Yeah. Um, so in that way, it's helpful. Um, but I, I know what you mean about it being exhausting. Maybe I got old when I was young. I think I did. So I, I've made a concerted effort over the last few years to just like do my best to stop pretending to be anybody. Um, you know, I've, I've taken a deep look inside. There's nobody home. So I'm going to just be who I am all the time. And that's, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> Take a deep look inside and there's no one there. I'm like, oh shit, I better keep pretending so nobody realizes there's nobody here. I, you know, just, just be the, you know, I, I'm a, an, an amalgamation of all the fictional characters I've enjoyed and the people I've met. And a, I'm assuming that's all anyone is, you know? And like that, yeah. that, that unique brew is what makes them them. But, yeah. um, you know, so like it's, I don't know. I mean, I guess one of the things I noticed that actually did cut back stress in my life is like I've for the last few years, I've essentially been the same person at work as I am at home, like Mm -hmm. minus some of like the extra cutesy stuff that I do at home um, just because there's often not cause for it. You know, my cat doesn't come to the office or something. Right. Um, (laughs) So like, I don't know. I, I also have done that with like my, my parents um, where, you know, sort of like when I visit my folks and like, you know, being, the son it's like no i'm gonna just be me instead of like you know playing the role of the child again like yeah. not quite child but you know and i'll always be my parents but it's like it's a um I don't, it's not such a huge context shift right and so like visiting with them isn't as exhausting because i don't have to pretend to be a different person right they're yeah. like i'm i'm 40 i've had a back injury i've gone through two divorces there's there's let's not be kids anymore yeah. Not, not, that's not, I guess, not what you say, but yeah. Yeah, it's basically what I say. <laughs> okay. Fake Steven has had two divorces. Um, yeah. But. And a love child down in South America. Of course. And an even more secret attic family. Um, Ooh. So, all right. Uh, June says, that's not true. Um, mm. When Fen says about, you know, you want me just to be the happy person. And Val says, it is. A bit. And he says, is it? Um and this is where, like, when I was putting my notes down, I'm like, okay, this actually seems like she's trying to break them up. Hmm. She's directly contradicting him. And granted, maybe she can read him better than he can. And maybe she's right. But, like, she's fighting him on this in couples therapy in front of uh, Fen. Like, this might have been a great thing for her to have with June in a private session so he can confront that on his own, right? Um, like, Oh, I, I, I don't know shit about couples therapy, so I don't know, like, if it would have been better off in private session or whatever. I don't either. I do think, but I, I, I mean, given that this one ended in a divorce, then like, I'm assuming it wasn't successful. So yeah, like, I mean, I do think that's true of June because I, I think that's true of everybody. And, and I'm especially true of June based on, you know, what we've seen of him over the past 115 chapters. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's where I'm at with like, you know, we all want our partners to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean that we want them to bury their damage, but like we wish they didn't have damage to bury. Um, yeah. You know, partly I hope mostly because I hope we're good people. It's because we want them to be happy for our, for like their own sake. Um, mm-hmm. I think my notes, I said our own sake. I'm at their own sake, but selfishly it's because we don't want to put up with, you know, we don't have to put in the work to help them with their problems. Um, mm-hmm. But like, that's part of a partnership, you know, mm-hmm. people have stuff to work through and they do it together. And Val even says, I think after she's successfully broken them up that like, you know, people are supposed to help each other grow like when they're partners. And it's like, yeah. And yet you're telling us we couldn't do that. And you're telling us that we couldn't do that. Yeah. 
the way that she nudges every negative part of this again it could just be blatant honesty but i feel like this is the kind of thing that like would have been better learned about yourself june in this case that that's what he mm-hmm. wanted from ven like mm-hmm. without her in the room right there again i'm not sure how couples therapy works maybe you're supposed to just both go into it with like you know zero masks and full disclosure and no hard feelings or whatever but yeah frankly i think if you're already at that stage you don't need therapy so I, I mean, when I was reading it, I just took it at face value as, you know, being being honest and, and open and stuff. But considering the results, yeah, maybe it it was just her continuing to be like, aha, this is the next weak point to exploit. And I mean, I think she might actually be right. But what's the point of mentioning that here, right? Yeah. If he wants to be a person that doesn't think that that's true, let him work towards being that person. Yeah. She does point out to Finn that uh, she says, you're his refuge from the stress he faces, which was a heart moment for me because I think SOs should always be each other's refuges. It was really sweet. Yeah. Well, but the, oh, the no. downside of that, though, is that if Fen is his refuge from the stress he faces, it means that she can't bring stress to the table. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah. but I've got and stuff. I need to, I, I, yeah. I need, I need things. I've got things I need to work on and who better to work on with than my intimate partner. Oh, well, mm. I can't I can't put it on his plate because he's got so much stuff, you know, um, yeah. it's not a good recipe. <laughs> then Val goes on to say, you need to remember that he's young. and he doesn't really understand what he's doing in relationships. And mm. it seems like a good chance for me to take a dig at children being immature. But um, he's he's in, he is in an insanely stressful, to put it mildly, situation. Right. Having refuge in, in a fun person sounds like it's basically necessary for his sanity. Um that said, I'm assuming it's not 100% necessary because he's going to walk out of this room without that. And he's going to walk into like relationship drama on top of all of his other responsibilities. So like yeah. he'll manage. This won't be like the boring story of how he just crumbles. Um, right. How June becomes emo. Right. <laughs> and he pulls out his, his black lipstick and eyeliner and gives up on the world. Yeah. I did want to address the thing you said. This is a good chance for me to take a dig at children being immature. I kind of agree with you in that June is a young adult and he's immature. He's he's very young. He doesn't have a lot of experience and he doesn't understand what he's doing in relationships. Like the only point of contention I would have is using the word child to describe someone who is June's age and in June's position. Yeah, but no, yeah, I, I mean, I use different that word adults to mess with are you. okay. Yeah, different adults are different levels of maturity, and a lot of that does have to do with how much life they've lived so far. Yeah, that's my main thing with all of it. You know, uh, with our running mostly joking contention at this point is that like maturity deeply correlates or heavily correlates with age. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it's not linear and it's not, uh, it's not, it's not universal, but it's there. So like, uh, I think that calling and treating June as a child at this point would be a very big mistake. Yeah, I agree. Even if he is 17, that's why he might be 18 at this point. I think that they asked him and like at that meeting of the minds, and and would that make all the difference in the world that he turned to his 18th birthday? Now, of course. now he's not a child anymore. No, I'm just, <laughs> okay. I was just I was just pointing out that I think we're supposed to have it's there because some time has passed. Um, OK, yeah. No, the you know, in a not pervert way. And that in that case, age is just a number, man. Um, you know, and I get why it's I, there I, for, for law reasons, because we need lines for laws. But um, since sometimes there's no, the lines are in stupid places. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily the problem is all the lines are in that one place the line should be spread out a bit more so people can, you know, have gradations of, of 
responsibility and and you know what? Oh, but but Enos, you know, they podcast about this. Let's keep going. <laughs> well, I, I got one joke. But Enos, they are spread out. At eighteen, you're only old enough to get married and go to war. You're not yet old enough to say enjoy a glass of champagne at your wedding or throw back a beer after you get your leg blown off in war. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so Gotta that, that responsibility people. comes a few years down the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good right. point. <laughs> <laughs> Valencia turns to June and says, "Fen is trying to be someone better. She can't be what you need her to be." Not if she's going to become that other person, at least not in the short term. Um, like, I, this is where I think we're supposed to just take Val at her word here, since she's using thousands of years of experience to drive this conversation. Mm-hmm. But I disagree. I think you can grow and become a better person while staying fun and light, like at least mostly. Um, yeah. You know, it it just means that together, you and your partner can understand, okay. And, and I do this all the time, especially like my wife and I have had... Um, individually and because we're you know close uh together distinct rough things going on right now um okay and you know we're on a walk uh, a couple days ago and i'm like hey you know if you are up for it i've got like maybe 15 minutes worth of like heavy emotional content to talk about or we can save it for later like i literally say that um and if she had said you know let's let's put it let's put a pin in it i i would be fine with that um I mean, maybe I'm ahead of Fen, not to like pat myself on the back. Um, in fact, I oh, kind I don't of think it's that hard I, I, to be ahead I, of I was, Fen. Yeah, I was gonna uh, like whatever the non humbly allow myself to pat myself on the back there. Um, yeah. So, but I think it's possible to get there. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Um, I agree with you. Like they could both shift things around a little bit, and you know, make allowances for each other, and. And do the thing you're saying, where where they're changing, but they're still, you know, trying to be there for the other person, and it it could have worked, I think. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't be trying to, you know, second guess thousands of years of devil experience, but on the other hand, I kind of kind of looks like this is one of those things where, like, yeah, Fen, you're trying to be a better person, right? You can't do that as long as you're dating June. He he needs you to not change at all ever. Yeah, and it's weird because I I also have the position that like you need to be basically self actualized before you make a good partner. Mm. Um, and if Fen's not there yet, then she's not there yet. Um, Dude, I don't do. Hmm, okay, and I mean, I, I was just gonna say that sucks because I want to have a partner. I, I, I think I'm, that you're a self actual like you 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 have. I guess maybe self actualized is is a confusing bar. Like you shouldn't need a partner to be content in your life. Um, Like, you know, I say that as somebody who's like basically never been single, not because I've just been, you know, dating tons of people, but because I've dated like three. Drowning Um, in pussy. Yeah. Um, The. uh, They made that movie series, James Bond based around you. Yeah, basically lots of murders. Um, Yes. But now I guess uh, I think Val says it down the road and she puts it succinctly, but you you need to be your own person before you're a good partner, maybe mm-hmm. at least to some extent. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but you can't be a complete fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. At least there's that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fen says, you think I'm dumber than you and we've both got soul magic. So it's not really a secret that it's true, but I've still been wishing that you wouldn't treat me like I was dumber. And since I'm dumber, you helped explain to me that it's because they can see each other's int stats. Uh, and I didn't even so i thought that she had like used soul magic to see how intelligent he thinks she was 
And I'm right. like, that seems hard and unlikely. But yeah, no, they just look at the numbers. No shit. And uh-huh. that's tough because, you know, intelligence isn't like height or uh, archery skill, right? It seems like mm-hmm. something that's kind of like integral to a it's, – it's like a very personal thing to a person, right? Um, yeah. And – but. Yeah. So you can like know that you're smarter than someone or that someone else is smarter than you. And that doesn't mean they have to treat you like an inferior or that you treat them like an inferior. Totally. Um, you know, that's it. Though, I, like- I, I get where she's coming from. You know, I know people who are smarter than me and hanging out with them. They never rub my face in it, but it's like, I don't know. It's like hanging out with somebody who I know could beat me up, you know? Um, really? Kind of. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, this is coming from somebody who's like, I guess I've just never you know, met anybody five inches shorter than, than you too. So, uh, <laughs> oh. so no, no, I mean, so like that, that analogy, I think maybe doesn't land for you because you don't know well, what no, that, that I mean, concern I, is like, I, I think I, I've never met anyone who beat me up or that's dumb or that's smarter than me. So I'm exactly. just, I'm on top of the whole world. Yeah, I know. But yeah, that is, but it, it's not, it's not bad. If anything, it, it can be motivating. Um, it's just, uh, I get where she's coming from and it's tough. Um, and it's one thing to be like, worry about it. Like, oh man, I hope that, you know, I'm not that much dumber than my partner. But yeah, like, you know, if, if you can just see like, oh no, his instat is 12 and, and going and climbing and yours is sticking hard at seven. Like, you know, that's tough spot to be in. Yeah. I mean, but he's going to outclass everybody on the planet. You know, he's just not going to make a yeah. good romantic partner down the road. Or, well, that's my suspicion. At least like, if he doesn't change his attitude. Yeah, but like at some point you'll become, uh, you, you know, um, Doctor Manhattan level. And it's like, how do I even relate to you guys? <laughs> right. I'm, th- yeah. I'm thinking at the speed of light, and uh, I I know everything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see how that shakes out maybe, too. Maybe once he gets that smart, he can make himself dumb again. Like, you know, impregnate a virgin and come back to Arab <laughs> in the human body. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's done. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Oh, shit. You're saying that maybe June is literally like yeah, the Jesus d- a, of the God June. A dumb version of himself that he sent back mm. to have a childhood. Well. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But moving forward, uh, we have another sad thing that happened with the letters in the time chamber. Uh, Finn says the whole thing sort of shifted around us without us ever being face to face. And when we came back together, I think I changed a little, or at least I tried to, and it just felt off since then. And we still haven't really had an in-person talk about a bunch of the stuff that we said in letters because I'm scared and you're scared too. But for you, it's more about not wanting to rock the boat because you're happy where things are. And for me, it's just feeling shitty about myself. And like, I don't, this, this, to me, this feels like just one of those things that sucks and is sad and there's nothing you can do about it. And man, maybe I wish you could rewind time or something. Cause how do you address that? I guess months of therapy or something with yeah. someone who's not Satan. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's tough. I mean, cause it's true, you know, like, yeah. you know, she wants, she doesn't want to talk about it cause she's scared and he doesn't want to talk about it. Cause it's like, come on, this is you're you're my happy place. Right. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, yeah, he says, I don't really, he thinks I don't really know how to deal with her baggage. I barely know how to deal with my own. And he stayed silent. Like, mm-hmm. and this, it does suck. It's, it, there's no, there's no, no one is being wrong or no one, no one's being mean or wrong here. It's just, uh, it's just a bummer situation. Um, yeah. like I, I loved 
the lead up to this point um it to me and i'm assuming most readers like i i also thought like the letters brought them together because like they shared a bunch of personal stuff mm-hmm. but all they kind of did was just air it and then they never talked about it right mm-hmm. they didn't incorporate that information into their lives and so like you know it it sucks yeah. but i get it yeah yeah um i like this a lot with june here and Again, Valencia is the one saying, no, you must divorce. Um, mm. uh, Fen is saying, like, we need to take a break or something. And, uh, oh, no, it's right before that. Um, yeah, you want to just pull out the end of this, but I had to grab the rest of it. So I'll let you grab the last line of it. But he says, I don't think it's come to that. Can't we just resolve to be better? I'll try to take you seriously. If you try to make sure that you're not asking me to read read through layers of social cloaking to know when you're joking and when you're not or when you're joking, but also serious, like, you know, this is, this is typical. Like, I think I I identify with this a lot. I don't know if this is like quote typical guy stuff or not, but Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, like I will take you, you know, I, I don't know if I've had a problem taking people seriously, but the whole, like, can I not do the mind reading thing? And, uh, like, all right, great problem solved. I found that we've identified the problem and here's the solution. And then Val chimes in and says, you're, suggest- you're suggesting a restructuring of your relationship, not in just the way that you relate to each other, but what you both expect from a partner. And he's like, I, yeah, so? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, so what? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess I am. Fuck that, that's, right? That's Who why cares? we're in therapy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, if that's what it takes, then yeah, I just don't want to throw it all away. And Ben says, no, it was a mistake. And he says, what was? And she says, us. Yeah. I love you. That hasn't changed, but we need to take a break. And I hear all the Fen haters rejoicing at this. As somebody who's been on the front carriage of the the Fen haters train for most of the book, I'll tell all of them to get fucked. Um, this is this is sad feelings. You know, sad feelings yeah. are sad no matter who's having them. And you know, if if people are happy that like the relationship's over because whatever, like you know, I'm. I say get fucked with all the love in the world, but um, hmm. like I, I thought they'd come out of this conversation taking June's approach. Like, okay, we've got some work to do. Let's do this. Um, yeah. And coming from the guys who've been complaining about romance since you know the first spark of it in the book, I was really rooting for these two. Yeah. Um, sad feelings are sad, and it's a bummer. With all that having been said, was the book better off for having the romance in it as opposed to having it not there at all? I didn't read the counterfactual version, but like it, it adds, it adds more to the story than just like the mystery and the plot. Right. Yeah. And you know, I'm coming around. I don't, I, I never got around to articulating what my problem with it was. I think it was because it was like, you know, this whole chapter, we got no plot. Right. Um, so like I might, that might've been my complaint and yet I found this all really valuable and interesting and it, it's great characterization. It's, it's, it's feeling evoking. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm only 20 or so chapters into, um, mother of learning, mm-hmm. but like the main character doesn't even have feelings. His feelings are like annoyance, um, mm. which is fine. Like, yeah. but I'm not into it for like his, his feelings or romance or whatever. Right. I'm into it because yeah. I'm curious about the time loop. And so is he. So like if, if he were to like start romancing people, um, and it'd be like, come on, man, you're wasting time. Yeah. We're curious about the the mystery here, right? Um, right. But this is really well. So that was my feeling about it. I'm mm-hmm. like, look, I don't want you to waste your time, you know, worrying about feelings of this elf lady and, you know, uh, the emotions and man, like, no, man, 
find the king, find your friend, figure this shit out. I'm really curious. And yet, um, the digressions all paid off in the end in a way that I don't think, I mean, the end, we're halfway through the book, but um, right. so far, uh, it hasn't seemed like it's like all of the time that we spent on this stuff hasn't been wasted. So it's been really cool. Awesome. I am. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because I didn't think to articulate that to myself yet. So, oh, yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's just that oftentimes when romance is shoehorned into things, it's done really badly and everyone notices. Yeah, and then, I mean, then you keep thinking, "Ugh, why are they putting romance and stuff?" It's always such a loser crap thing because it is when it's done badly, and people oftentimes try to shoehorn it in. But when it's done well, it's it's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it took up like an undue amount of pages or something, but I think it was the fifth Harry Potter book where he's trying to date Cho Chang, the seeker of the Ravenclaw oh, Quidditch team. Yeah. And granted, I mean, there's probably like three total pages of their interacting or something mm. um, or even like his thoughts on it. But it's like it all feels like completely unnecessary. And this yeah. is the same book where like a ton of important shit happens. Yeah. And it's the longest book in the series at 870 pages. So like they can just like. You know, that, that whole thing was totally unnecessary, right? This changed both of these characters. Yeah, exactly. Fen says, I can bow out. I'll talk with the others first, but Juniper, we want different things. And I'm not sure if she means bow out as in like, I'm going to leave the party for a while. Um, that's what it sounds like to me. That's what it sounds like. Because uh, she says, I'll talk with the others first. Yeah. And June says something about like, we'll have all these problems as party members too. Yeah. And... uh I um I don't know what to I don't know um I don't think she can just leave like maybe she can um apparently Uther's companions never left but I guess that doesn't necessarily mean they never took like a week off now and then yeah it just means that like they never abandoned him um, right but also and, like, there's no reason the rules have to be the same for June's party and I don't know if his daughter was one of his knights but apparently his daughter went missing for like a year or longer and then came back as that. Uh, his squire and that was a mystery for another year before it was revealed that his squire was secretly his daughter so like i guess people I could re- leave his orbit for a while yeah i can't remember how long she's actually missing for and it might have been a planned thing with the two of them right um oh yeah it's, it, that's true it could have been yeah but also maybe she didn't become a companion quote unquote until after she joined his party after she got done being missing like oh yeah i i'm not really sure like that's true it probably wasn't like she got born and it's like congratulations companion number seven <laughs> companion unlocked yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe june's companions will come and go um but i do wish she had stay not just because i want everyone to be happy friends but like she she brings a dynamic to the team that i enjoy um yeah you know she she is the 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 class clown slash jester and a party needs one of those and mm-hmm. Even Mary would be like, no, you're the best archer. You can shoot that utility bow that, or the artillery shot that can destroy a fucking island. Um, like, on yeah. the plus side, maybe what will happen is she'll leave for like a week or something, and then she'll show up heroically and save the day at some point. Aha! The cavalry has arrived. Yeah. And it'll be all the more emotionally rejoicing, because she'll have done a ton of emotional level- leveling up in like the five days that she was gone or something. Darn right, because she'll have been in like a time chamber or a time loop or something. Or just like, you know spent time talking to the six-eyed doe and you know <laughs> dooting yeah. out for a few days right sometimes you need that this was kind of sad fen she's like i think uh oh it was before that but she was talking to valencia she's like fix it just manipulate us however you have to say the magic words even if they're false mm-hmm. and i didn't put this in the show notes but i was worried that fen might try and like soul fuck herself 
like or do some soul surgery but actually fuck herself up yeah uh, that that concern's not really there anymore i feel like she's gonna go try and do it the you know not to, not take the easy way yeah um i mean but i don't even know what, what knobs you can tune on your soul to like make you feel like a more balanced person right right Unless there's just a knob for like how balanced of a person you feel and you crank it all the way up to 11. <laughs> yeah. The crazy dial. Yeah. I feel great with myself now. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I've been doing a lot of talking, but last thing here real quick was that he turns to Val and says, you're not a great therapist. Like, I don't know if you're planning on doing, I don't know what you're planning on doing for a career, but I would recommend couples counseling. Yep. Zing. <laughs> I, I mean, he says, at best, you overestimated your abilities. At worst, it was deliberate sabotage. And then a bit later says, you fucked it up deliberately because you thought you knew better. And, I mean, we, we've kind of been talking about that this whole chapter now. It's from the top. But I, I kind of am with June here. Like, you got, I don't know if it's just because I really love Ben and I'm pissed at, at Val. But Draco had that whole thing where if, if something happens really you know shitty i don't remember exactly what the context was maybe it was uh when when hermione tried to kill draco i don't know when trying to identify like the cause of some confusing plot look at who benefits yes that's that's a lawyer term too um uh i would mess it up because it's two latin phrases i think they're two syllables each uh wes will have to tell us (laughs) okay but yeah and it's look at who benefits assume that was the intention and see, you know, how could that have come? How could they have pulled that off? And I'm kind of thinking that now, like they got broken up. Maybe Valencia did it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I couldn't find the term and I Googled it really quick on the lawyer thing. All right. Um, yeah. I don't know. So Val might benefit if she wants to date June, but if she just really wants like a party that won't fail, this could mm-hmm. also be in service to that. Yes, um, it could, but also... And- it, it could all be the, the truth thinking you knew better yeah yeah it, so i mean this could have this could also just be like look this is my honest best effort and actually you know if if i let things play out the way they were going to it would have ended terribly and you know through whatever way i've managed to know things um this would have all gone you know super super bad right um i mean so that's, I, that's, I helped i just ripped the band-aid off that, right i mean that could be but we don't know and I mean, that's the, the whole thing with her being able to channel devils, right? Like, the now I feel like I can't trust her because of this. And oh, but she, Inya, she she's says, flawless. Like, I, I know, I thought <laughs> so too. And, and she, like, brings up my father and his people. They assumed that they were talking to a devil always. And June was supposed to be different. You were supposed to have faith in me. And that that does suck. And I do see her side and I feel bad about it. But... But we just lost Fen. I don't know if I can trust her. I hope Fen's not gone for long. Um, man, it'll be weird if she's actually not even there in the next chapters. Uh, you know, maybe they'll agree. You know, Amaryllis is like, no, you can't just leave. Like, please stay. You know, you guys don't have to look at each other, but we need you to come back to that meeting with us. Like, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I liked when June was, you know, digging into Val. And she says, you're hurting me. And he opens his eyes and looks at her. And she was crying, not sobbing, but tears rolling down her face. Now we know she's an Academy Award winning actress. Um, yes. So, you know, these these crocodile tears might mean nothing. And yet, this is exactly the kind of thing that actually would really hurt her feelings. Yeah. You know, like 
and that's part of what makes it such a, such a convincing lie, if it is one. So you can never tell if you're trusting her. This would be a great usurping of expectations. Like, that was the whole thing from the beginning, right? Yeah. Like, oh, we never know if we're talking to a devil or not, so we have to just never believe anything you say. And now she's got a grip on it, but now we still can't believe anything you say. Mm-hmm. That would be a fun kind of twist on that. But, I mean, June... I feel we're kind of there. I, I feel like we're getting there. June's mad, and he's using words that he knew would cut extra deep. Um, yeah. And then he does say, I'm sorry, you know, I'm shook up. Uh, you know, I was feeling shitty about myself and looking for someone to blame. And hey, you know what? He at least recognized what he was doing and he immediately owned up to it. Um, yeah. So even if he was being manipulated with crocodile tears, his realization that he was lashing out was still real. This isn't, you know, he he's worried at the end of the chapter that he's the same shitty person he was in Kansas. Mm-hmm. He's not. Shitty Kansas June would never have done this. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, damn. Nice. You have made me feel slightly more cheered up. Well, I hope June recognizes that about himself, but it might take him a while. Yeah, that's true. Uh, somewhat unrelated, um, but I had to pull this out. Valencia says you dated Maddie, uh, which is our first confirmation in text. And uh, I am still in awe that you called that. Uh, just going on the data of, well, she's the only other named girl from Earth in this book, which... I did not, you know, I was not thinking on that level when I was reading this, but you were, and that's some really <laughs> sharp thinking. And, you know, my my pants have been shat once again. <laughs> I'll, I'll give myself like maybe 0.25 Sherlock points for that one. I mean, I, it's either, like I, you know, it was either her or some hitherto unnamed person. It might as well be the person they've named a couple of times. But um, I also, like, I wonder why that's significant. Because, well, and also, where did fucking Val's ability to divine things out of fucking nowhere come from? Um, from hell. I guess, but how does hell even know that he dated Val? Or that he dated Maddie? Like, he had a past relationship. How did she put it together? Then she, Maddie never came up in this conversation, I don't think. Um, maybe, maybe it's he... Maybe literally it's the only other girl from Earth that he's talked about around them, and she put two and two together and did the quarrel thing where she just states as a fact what her best guess is, and then he confirms it. And oh, she yeah, never- she could have been wrong. And then he would have been like, no, it was somebody else. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is she's like, it would have helped if I knew sooner or something. And it's like, but why, though? Like, you know, I had a previous relationship that ended poorly. Everyone's had that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It mm. That seemed weird. But I like this. He says, Jesus Christ, we have to go back and talk to those assholes about whether or not they want to kill me. <laughs> this is dicks. And <laughs> first off, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And I, I wait around. No one makes when that I joke. That. And, oh. and it was like, oh, and I was like, oh, the, you know, things aren't light and fun anymore. This is dicks. Yeah. When you said when I saw the, the comment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. At first, I thought you meant dicks. And I was like, <laughs> that is hilarious. And then I saw that he starts with Jesus Christ. and I was like, oh, that's even better. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, his 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 day, you know, he had to go meet with these strong, you know, people who want to nuke him in the face. And then yeah. he gets he, he gets dumped or rather, yeah. you know, it was 70 percent dumped. Um, yeah. And then he's like, now we got to go back and see if they want to blow a nuke up in my face. Like this uh, day sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very bad day. Val uh, does tell him that if you value this relationship, you can work to get her back. So there is there is at least a bright light at the end, and I was I cheered for that. This isn't something Devil Val would say if she wanted June all to herself, right? That's right. She could say, "Look, you know, I wouldn't have let this fall apart here today if I knew, if I didn't know with 
all of my knowledge that there was no way this would work, right? Right. She would have said something like that if she wanted to keep them apart. Probably. Unless she's playing one level higher than me, which she has been over and over, so. That's true. Fucking devils. Yeah. Although, she does have at least one piece of wisdom I agree with. She says, in a proper relationship, both people become better for it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I said something to that effect at least three times over the course of this podcast so far. Not this episode, but like the last year or whatever. Okay. Um, Probably. Yeah. I think so. It's a thing you say frequently, so. Yeah. yeah. And because it, it's true. Yeah. Um, so she at least has one piece of, of true wisdom. Um, all right. So not, not a rhetorical question. She says to June, you already struggle with entitlement in part due to your, your unique position within the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess. But how could you not feel entitled in his shoes? Right. I, I agree with you. That's one of the problems with being a god. Right. And I, I don't know what you do about that. Well... We will have to see. Uh, you pull a John or you pull a Jesus. There's probably some other options too, but those are the two big ones that come to mind right now. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll end on the June's, you know, pulling, putting on his eyeliner right now towards the end of the chapter. So you can pull that <laughs> out. But I'll remind you that, and and him, if I could tell him, like, look, man, you're already better than the person you were. Don't pretend. But I get yeah. why he feels bad. Yeah. He has a little mini flashback to Earth about how how it was after um, Arthur died and he isolated all his friends and was, you know, kind of trying to avoid them in the halls and seeing them and hoping things would get better, but nothing ever got better. And he, it ends with our little group on Arab was close, maybe a little too close because he came from a small town where everyone was very close like that, too. And the thought of those same looks from them had my stomach in knots. And that just that, that was terrible because he's he fucking got portaled to a fantasy world where he has god powers and yet even so he's still right back in the same shit that he was in when he was on earth and it's i mean it's not like everyone hates him now like everyone hated him in his hometown but but he still got this shit and i guess you can't escape yourself because wherever you go even if it's a cool ass fantasy world you're still fucking there and it's bullshit you can't escape yourself sounds like it might be the moral of june's time here on air oh ho ho or at least an ingredient of it like, he, he yeah. couldn't escape himself by transforming his mind into another person when the universe shattered to reconfigure itself around his intelligence stat, right? Right. Um, I wonder, you know, that, that that certainly sounds like an important thing there. And yet, it's not going to be that way. He's not going to go out there and, you know, kick crack in the face and say, I'm glad you killed your family or, you know, <laughs> spit, at, spit at Amaryllis and tell her that, I don't know what he would even say to her, right? What yeah. would you say the dough? Like throw sand in its eyes? Like yeah, whatever. So Those are set its, stupid. Set its tree on fire? Like right? I mean, he could just smash the bottle if he wanted to be a dick, right? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. He probably could. I, I assume know, it's, it's hard to break by magic. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, it better not just be fucking glass. That'd be a really stupid loophole. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Oops, dropped it. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I hope that uh, things bounce back quickly. But there's only one way to find out, Inyash. Yes, the way we will find out is by reading the next four chapters, 117 through 120. Those chapters are 117, Beast of Burden, 118, Breaking Loose, 119, Depths, and 120, Deceptions. Hmm. I got nothing. Cool. Yeah, I usually would guess on the chapter names, but nothing's coming to me. So Mm. we will have to dive in and see you all back here. Same time, same place next week. Don't forget, we have yeah. our website, hpmrpodcast.com. Our website, yes. it's Inyash's. No, no one make the mistake. Um, and uh, Kind of ours. Eh, I mean, I put it's, stuff it's, on it's, your stuff. 
Um, yeah, it's the podcast website. Very dope. Very well. Um, we have a, a Patreon where you can support us and where we throw yeah. 15% to Alexander Wales. If you want to support right. him directly, do it because he's awesome and he's still writing stuff. And yeah. what's the other thing I say? Uh, well, before you say that, I just wanted to tie in for a thing we said earlier. If you think this podcast might be a little bit of work that's worth a dollar a month, you know, then we could have got the Patreon right there. It's true. It is work. I mean, even putting the show notes together is a couple of hours. I oh, mean, yeah. at least combined. I mean, that, um, yeah. I mean, so taking notes is one thing and then putting them on the sheet in order and stuff just to line up oh, the episode. Oh. The reason okay, I'm yeah. super aware of it is because I had to do it after work today because I now I'm at a job that I'm busy enough where I can't do it during the day. So screw oh, that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yes, we appreciate it. And just like we appreciate you, Alexander, thank you very much for writing this. This is your game. We're just playing it. Hell yes. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>